Welcome to another episode of Look Into It. Um, today, we're going to do uh, a podcast, a music podcast. Um, <clears throat> not so much conspiracy today. So if you're looking forward to a conspiracy theory podcast, um, you're going to be very disappointed. You might as well just press stop and get on a tinfoil hat. There's plenty of them. We're going to get into the band that changed my life. And the band that changed my life is Kiss. I'm going to get into my whole kiss story uh, and um, how it affected everything I do really um, joining me. My guest is one of the biggest kiss fans of all time. He's got an incredible kiss memorabilia collection. And I met him through a mutual friend, Danny Loner, formerly nine inch nails. Uh, you know, we, we used to watch UFC parties at a guy named Slammy's house. Who's another mutual friend. And Man, it was awesome. We'd, we'd have parties there. Every every big UFC is insane. That's why I met Greg. And uh, then I found out Greg used to produce Rockline, which was the, the biggest rock radio show, nationwide radio show, probably ever in the United States. Um, the song you just heard, the reason why we opened up with uh, a Nothing Good Came Easy by Mendenhall Experiment, is that's a band that Greg manages. He's also um, a... a in the music business as a manager. And one day I was at Danny Loner's house and Danny was working on um, something with the song. I forget what it was. He was working on the song and uh, I'm not impressed by any new bands. Really. I'm just, you know, I worked at a strip club for 10 years and I just had music just pounding down, down my throat every goddamn night. So I, I got sick of most music. Very, very, uh, there's very few bands that, um, uh, I love because of that, just loud music in my goddamn ear all goddamn night. Now, if you work at a radio station, you could take the headphones off and you don't have to get pummeled uh, with bad music. But at a strip club, that shit's loud eight hours a day. It's just killing you, killing your soul. So uh, when I heard that song, I'm like, Danny, what the hell is this? And he goes, Mendenhall Experiment. I'm like, holy shit. And that song was Seize the Day. And uh, I was blown away with blown away by it. And then um, I talked to Greg about it at a UFC party. And and uh, I asked him if I could use it on EBI. Seize the day became the EBI anthem. It's 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 an incredible song. Now, the song I just played, um, that's the anthem that I use for combat jujitsu. And man, I couldn't believe that another song that blew me away. Nothing good came easy. That song blows me away. The only reason I'm using that song in the show it's because it's i love it i never get sick of it and it goes so good it goes so good with those combat jujitsu highlights and and uh maybe later on i'll play it maybe i'll end the show with seize the day and we'll, we'll play a, an ebi highlight uh that's that's jujitsu without strikes combat jujitsu is jujitsu with strikes putasos. so Anyways, I want to introduce me and Greg. Obviously, we're gigantic Kiss fans. Um, I want to introduce him uh, officially. Uh, this is Greg Journey Gun. How you doing, Greg? What's up, Eddie Bravo? Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm good, brother. It's you know those parties of Scotties are legendary. You never know who would show up. And uh, um, a couple times, I think I went up to you jokingly and said, "I think Vinnie Vincent's here." In your ear, and, and you know, then it just sets you off. And there we were going off on. What did you say? I missed that. What did you say? You'd whisper oh, in my ear. What? I would whisper in your ear. Vinnie Vincent's here. 
Oh, <laughs> and then Eddie Bravo was on. He was like, ready, let's go. Let's talk about Vinnie Vincent for the next 45 minutes. And we'd be like, dude, you train the guy that's on. We need to be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, um, again, like I said, this show is going to be mainly about kiss. So, if, and, and even if you don't like kiss, I think you you'll appreciate uh, the, the, the story of kiss and how it affected people's lives. Cause I don't like Amy Winehouse at all. I don't like Amy Winehouse music at all. I'm not a fan of old school blues and jazz and all that. I have the only thing I knew about Amy Winehouse was that song rehab that didn't do shit for me. That was nothing. And um, and she died of a some drug overdose. That's all I knew. I didn't know nothing about her. But when I saw her documentary, the Amy Winehouse documentary, that was completely made by home videos that she made. And she videotaped everything in her life. And then they took all that video after she OD'd and died and made a movie out of it. And when I saw that, I swear to God, I cried like two or three times. And, and I don't even like I don't even like her music. But when you watch it and you watch her, she's she was videotaping her whole life and you would see her life unfolding. And then she would write a song about it. And in the in the documentary, they play the song with the lyrics. And you're like, Oh, my God, that's exactly what just happened. So you really appreciate Like, I think Amy Winehouse now is a fucking she was one of a kind genius Absolutely. even though i don't play her music in my car ever but just watching that documentary that chick blew everybody away that she sang in front of anybody that she sang in front of she'd pick up a big jazzy guitar like one that uh like um that robert smith used to play like a big one of those big guitars and she would just play these weird crazy jazz chords and her voice crushed and she videotaped her uh, going to a, uh, the record label that signed her and she, she sits there she, with the guitar and she plays and the record label is like, okay, you're signed. That's it. Like anybody that saw her sing live or in front of her, everybody was blown away. Everybody. So uh, the reason I brought that up is even though you might not like Kiss, their story, the Kiss story is insane and and for you conspiracy theorists out there, especially the cons conspiracy theorists that are deep into the Laurel Canyon conspiracy. Like, are you familiar with the Laurel Canyon conspiracy, Greg? Yeah. Oh, you are. So like there's a conspiracy out there. And uh, uh, the, the, the guy that made it popular, he's no longer with us. God rest his soul. This guy was incredible. I listen to his interviews all the time. His name is Dave McGowan. And he wrote a book called uh weird scenes in laurel canyon and uh, uh hopefully we'll put up a little uh graphic image of uh that book and um you could go on youtube and just listen to him talk about how uh a lot of the bands that came from the 60s like the hippie movement the bands that were um from the laurel canyon area uh all had connections to U.S. intelligence, including the CIA and the FBI. And it turns out on Lookout Mountain, right down the street from Danny's house, there was a secret military Air Force base. There was a gigantic state of the art movie studio where they filmed like propaganda films right there in Laurel Canyon. So Laurel Canyon was filled with intelligence officers. And um, the conspiracy theory is that uh, the the U.S. intelligence uh, 
hijacked or formed the hippie movement to discredit the anti-Vietnam War uh, 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 movement. So um, in this, I knew that's why I hated 60s fucking music. 60s- well, let's, 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 let's back up a minute there. So <laughs> a couple things. Um, Amy Winehouse very mirroring the story of Billie Holiday. Yes. Um, going, back, like going back to the Mendenhall experiment and her life, I can't thank you enough for picking up and loving the band because, you know, the story of the band quickly is about Brandon Mendenhall's uh, uh, problem with cerebral palsy and his hand was pretty much like this his whole life. His right side is he's a 70-30 guy. He's high functioning, but he's got CP and so he's got a lisp. He's got a definitely hitching his giddy up but he couldn't move his hand and by playing guitar he got his hand moving and he put this rock band together he met up with his mentor which happened to be would be you and i jimmy page uh his uh corn from um uh i mean monkey from corn and we made a documentary about the path of them recording a record together which is what you heard and then we made in the documentary won awards around the world and uh you can get it on amazon and um, I just want to thank you, Eddie, because you helped promote it very much. And we we got him signed to Universal. We got him signed the uh, Monster Energy Drink and a, n- a number of things that helped support them and really help, you know, raise the cause of disability awareness and anti-bullying. So um, now jumping forward to what you're saying, yeah, the, there's a lot of, you know, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but there's a lot of conspiracies that surrounded KISS. They didn't, you, no one knew their faces for the first 10 years. Gene's tongue. Was it real? I mean, just one after another. Night, night. The way they controlled the media and fed you what they wanted you to hear to this day is exceptional, exceptional of all. And how they um, just, you know, it's it, it's just how different it is today compared to what they got away with then. And also, the one of the big conspiracy theories around Kiss was. <clears throat> That Kiss stood for Knights and Satan Service. My favorite one. My that favorite was, one. Yeah. That was and, my favorite. And when you when when you know, um, when you look at the 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 60s psyop and how it tied in with Charles Manson and, and his CIA connections and all that, then you look at the seven the, the bands from the 70s. To me, it looked like the 60s. And then you find out in the 60s, those bands, most of those bands are like fake bands. Sam Tripley and I are coming to your town. Catch us on the road doing tinfoil hat comedy. Follow me on Instagram at tinfoil hat comedy night. June 17th, we got Tallahassee. And June 18th, Jacksonville. Go to samtripley.com for more information and to buy your tickets. See you on the road. Well, I worked for Capitol Records for 28 years and ran their computer networks. And that was all recorded in Studio A, the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. It was so the Beach Boys and Glenn Campbell and all that. Yeah, so it's like, man, it seems like, it, to me, I believe in all that, that the 60s, uh, there was a lot of crazy shit, man. I'm a, you know... Obviously, I'm a gigantic conspiracy there, so I, I love that stuff. I listen to Dave McGowan all the time, and he's got he put together so many connections, like like Jim Morrison, uh, the singer for The Doors. His father, coincidentally, was the the guy who coordinated the the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was the f- false flag that got us into the Vietnam War. That's a fucking coincidence. So there's so many of those connections, you know. Um, you know, Frank Zappa had connections. His dad worked in like 
chemical warfare and, and crazy shit. But the 70s, um, that's where, to me, where the real music came, started to really blossom. Like the 70s, they were like real bands. They were influenced by the fake band. There was, I mean, obviously there was legit musicians from the 60s, Jimi Hendrix, um, Jimmy Page, and, and, and uh, you know, there was legit musicians. But man, there was so much fakery in the 60s. And, and I knew there was something about the 60s music that I wasn't that into. But I got into Kiss uh, when I was eight. and you know, um, you could say you could say kiss, uh, you know, you want to get super crazy. You could say kiss is a super Illuminati deep state band by by just look at the characters. You have Gene, the demon that represents the satanic pedophile cults. You know what I mean? And then you have Paul, which was kind of like representing the. Uh, what do you what's that word ambiguous where you, you're like in between girl and guy transgender he was prancing around super feminine I mean Paul Stanley was super feminine uh, there was many rumors that that he may be uh, gay and I love gay people and there's nothing wrong with that Paul Stanley is my favorite uh, a member of Kiss you know uh, uh, half my favorite singers are gay so I, I have no problem with that but if you're looking at it with through a, co a conspiracy lens Gene Satan Paul transgender ace space whoa space that's a you know <laughs> that's a huge one but peter but peter that's a cat and like and i'm like man how does that fit into the illuminati conspiracy all i could think of is you know it, it's a, a, a conspiracy theory that uh, all these people that are ruling the world now they're they're all part of this satanic ancient religion from babylonia and from ancient egypt so and ancient Egyptians and the ancient Babylonians, according to shit I read, they, they used to worship cats. So I'm thinking maybe sure, they, uh, definitely the Egypt. I loved it. Iron Maiden got me into Egypt and I went there in 99 by myself and spent three weeks there because I'm so into the Egyptian mythology. But without even the lens of looking through a conspiracy lens, there's so much about Kiss that's just nutty. And. I remember walking through Gemco or Zodi's with my mom back in the Hell day, yeah. those old department stores and going, mom, what is that Bowie guy? What is he? What is that Alice Cooper guy? Who is he? And, and when I moved to LA in 1974 from a small town Bishop up north, the first thing that happened to me was Halloween. And I, and I was like, okay, I'm going out. I'm dressed as Evil Knievel. I could take on the world. I loved Evil Knievel. And I got my candy stolen by four guys dressed as Kiss. And I was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> then a few months later, I'm in show and tell in school. And one dude brings in a wreck. I brought in my dad's CHP patches. I thought, oh, my dad's cool. He's a cop. And um, this guy brought in his brother's Hotter Than Hell record. And I was like, oh, my God, those, those guys that stole my candy. <laughs> and from and from that point forward, I was obsessed with them. Like, what are they? Who are they? Superheroes? And then I realized what they were. They're a rock band. And then my parents finally got me from the Columbia Record Club on my, I think, my 10th birthday alive. What year was that? That would have been 75. God damn, dude. We have more in common than you yeah. even know. Dude, you oh. were in the Evil Knievel? Dude, my oh, my God. Evil Knievel's. Look, here. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. I love Evil Knievel. When I was a kid, my dad would come by once every couple years. 
you know, and he'd show up to my school one time. He gave me a hundred dollar bill. I thought I was really fucking cool. And then another time he shows up, he takes me to Montgomery Ward. You remember that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Montgomery fucking Ward? He takes me and he literally walked me in the store. I'm like eight years old. And he said, you can have anything you want in the store. Anything. I could have took a bike, anything. I knew what I wanted. I wanted that fucking evil, Knievel little fucking. It was like a, he was on a little motorcycle. Yeah. Put him on, he go, boom, and he jumps a ramp and he's got a things are huge again. Oh, that's all I wanted. I wanted, I walked in there and I go, that's all I need. Because for me, the way I, I was introduced to Kiss, um, uh, my stepfather, he was um, really, really, my stepfather was really, really into uh, classic rock. He had everything. Ted Nugent, Led Zeppelin, The Doors, fucking Pat Benatar, fucking everything. The Yardbirds, my stepdad, hardcore Mexican, but way in the classic, super tramp, the Beatles, everything. He even got Saturday Night Live, eight track, dog. He had everything. So um, uh, I'm eight years old and Kiss is about to drop uh, a movie, you know, oh, and Kiss, they started in 1973. They had an album in 1973, two in 74, and then a live album in 75. And then they were like underground for their first three albums for the, the people that don't know. First three albums, 1973, 1974, 75. And then they had another a live album in 75. So 75 was alive. And then they re-released the first three records, which was the second one I got because that was the originals. I remember it was all three of them bundled together. Yes. And then yes. it was like, oh, fuck, I just went from one having one Kiss record to four. Yeah, so it, you, you were, uh, for the first few years, Kiss was a underground band. They they were only known, like, on, they were, because because of their makeup and because of their outrageous um, image, they they uh, didn't get the respect on the radio at all. Uh, uh, nobody would play them on the radio. So they had an underground phone. So they had like adults into them, like grown ass men were into them um, that you had to go to a live concert to, to see them. And they, they were blowing everybody away live. And then they finally had a live record in 1975 after their three records that blew them up. And then they, their next studio album was destroyer 1976. They fucking blew up even bigger with that shit. But some some of their old school fans, some of their old school fans were, you know, were thinking, OK, now they're getting polished. Now they got this big producer, Bob Ezrin. Some, you know, at first they thought, OK, now they're selling out 1976. But then their next album, they came back and uh, the next album was rock and roll over. And that was um, back to their roots. And everyone loved them again. And then the next album, Love Gun, back to their roots. And everybody loves them. And then now it's like 1977 and they're fucking the biggest band in the world. The yeah. biggest band in the world. Led Zeppelin's fucking going, who are these motherfuckers? Kiss is at the top. At the top. They got Kiss candy. They got Kiss fucking pinball machine. They got Kiss condoms. They got Kiss everything. They're so big. And their hardcore fans are kind of like, uh, oh, they're getting a little too big. Look at them. They're getting a little too commercial. There's Kiss ice cream. There's Kiss fucking everything. Kiss shoes. There's fucking everything. So now it's 77 they're, they're as big as you can get. They're the biggest fucking band in the world. 78 too. And then now it's like seven, night, 1978 is when it all started to fall apart. And oh, they just, 
they just fell apart internally and musically. Um, disco was getting big. They decided to jump on the disco train. And this time, by this time, I still haven't heard any of their music. Now they're do, they're 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 about to drop a disco album. It's like 1978 is when they went disco. And not only did they go disco, but they went. Um, you know, they didn't go totally disco. They didn't go totally disco. It went a little disco, uh, but at the wrong time, because you had like Ozzy coming out and Van Halen, never going heavy and Judas Priest and Iron Man. And then Kiss decided to go, no, let's go this way. You know, this is the smart thing. Let's go disco. And I didn't know shit. I'm eight years old. Now I'm eight years old. Kisses are losing their hardcore fans. And then they put out a fucking movie called Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. And this was coming out on Saturday. And all week, the kids at school were talking about it. But even though the even eight-year-old kids in elementary were talking shit on Kiss. Because because their fathers were t- their fathers and their older brothers going, they're sellouts now, they're sellouts now. So my, I'm, I'm sitting there in the playground talking to my friends about uh, you guys going to see the, the Kiss movie Saturday. And they're like, no, nah, Kiss sucks. Little kids going, Kiss sucks because their older brothers are telling them. And everyone's saying, yeah, Kiss sucks. We're not going to watch that shit. We're not going to watch, yeah, Kiss sucks. Even my brother was four years older. And he goes, ah, Kiss sucks. And my stepdad, he was like, Kiss sucks. Fuck them. They're for, uh, at that point, the hardcore uh, fans were abandoning them because eight-year-olds were getting into them because they were selling out. And I'm the eight-year-old. I'm the eight-year-old. They went from, they, you gotta imagine a high school time for a band is four years. You know, these bands that sit there today and wait four or five years to record a record in between are absolutely stupid because if you can capture a bunch of 13-year-olds when they're in high school, you can ride them out until they're 16, 17, 18, and you've captured the soundtrack of their life, and they will be your fans for life. And what happens is Kiss was putting out two records a year, and they went from 1974 to 79. In five years, they went from lock up your daughters to look like your daughters. Yeah. And completely blew it. And Paul Stanley, they went from that fucking 79, 78, 77 two nights at the forum um, to record Kiss Alive 2, which I love that record, but in hindsight, and we'll go through our top 10 in a while, but um, they went in the next tour, they played one night at the freaking Anaheim Convention Center. 1979. The old building. And so you're right. I'm 15 in 1980. Unmasked comes out. I'm getting beaten up. I did great under junior high school because the Jerry Master is the star quarterback got me into kiss and we won tickets to go see the filming of kiss meets the phantom of the park and it was great because all i had to tell my parents is we're going to magic mountain yeah they filmed it, the, the kiss yeah. movie where they, they, they jumped four the songs shark. yeah yeah this is the film they jumped the shark yeah this I is a, i'm gonna play you know what i'm gonna play uh just play the beginning i'm gonna play the 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 commercial the this, this is what we were this is this is what got me into kiss we were talking about this in school. I will destroy you. All of you. You kids will be my instrument. Got to get out of here. 
Oh, dude, that was so bad. That movie is about Kiss playing at Magic Mountain and the guy, the, the general manager of, of Magic Mountain, he's like the guy who who creates all the roller coasters. He's an evil scientist and he's jealous of Kiss getting all the attention at Magic Mountain when he's the he's the he should be getting the attention. So he creates um uh, robots that look like Kiss that destroy the park and everybody blames Kiss. So it's a false fucking flag. That's a conspiracy theory right there. So there's a fake Kiss that's, that's uh, causing all this trouble at Magic Mountain. To, he's trying to fuck up their concert because they're there like two or three nights or something. He's trying to get them out of there. So everyone's blaming Kiss. Kiss is going out of control. They're, they're, they're beating up the staff and they're fucking, they're breaking shit and having fights with um, the people at Magic Mountain. So then they go on stage, the fake kiss, the fake kiss, and they sound like shit. So he made them sound like shit and out of tune on purpose. And the fans are like, boo, fuck kiss, fuck kiss. And then kiss, they trap kiss. Like he has them like in this fucking uh, dungeon. And then that one scene in the commercial, Paul goes, we got to get out of here. I'll never forget that shit, dude. That movie blew me the fuck away because the song they played, Rock and Roll All Night and Party Ever, I, like, dude, that song, I'm eight years old, and I'm like, oh, my motherfucking God. Because that night, I'll never forget, me and my brother talk so much shit on this Kiss movie that's coming out Saturday. We talk so much shit, but we couldn't wait. To, we sat in front of that TV, I'll never forget. We're on. A, we're fucking on the, we couldn't even sit on the couch, dog. You had to sit on a pillow right in front of the fucking TV. We talked, there was so much hype on this movie. I'm eight, he's 12. That movie just completely blew me the fuck away. The next day, Sunday, we always go to Gemco on Sundays. My grand, my grandma and my brother, grandmother take me and my brother and my two aunts, which were the same age as me and my brother. So we I had two aunts that were like my sisters because my grandma and my mother were having kids at the same time. So we go to Gemco. Dude, do you remember Cartman that went when like a new PlayStation came out and he just like busted down the doors to like a, a department store and he was like, he's like looking for this fucking new PlayStation. Dude, that was me. I had to have rock and roll all night. And my aunt, like I just dragged my aunt. My aunt was a couple years older than me. And we go in the record, the record section at Gemco, right? Fucking Gemco. Did I say Gemco earlier? Did I say Gemco? Because you mentioned Gemco earlier. We went yeah, to every Sunday. We go to Gemco, went to the record section. I was like, look at went through the kiss. And they were just like, I need a rock and roll motherfucking night. I knew I need rock and roll motherfucking night. So we found it and it was on Kiss Alive. But I didn't know what a live record was. I'm eight years old. I have no, I don't even know the concept of like what a live record. What do they record? Like, what is that? I don't even know. And my aunt, I'll never forget my aunt says, I, I go, this is it. And she goes, I think it's a concert. And I'm like, what? Shut up. It says rock and roll all night. Let's just get it. And we got it. Take it to my grandma's house. Never forget putting the fucking needle on. And then the, the audience come. I'm like, what is this? A football game? <laughs> I'm like, we're supposed to have the audience from a football game. And then completely blown away, completely smashed kiss alive, which was considered the hardcore kiss. It wasn't the sellout kiss. It wasn't the sellout. Um, 1978. You were, you were four years too late. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I was so if you were eight in 79, no, in I 78, was in I was eight in 78. So I, in 78, I was 13. So you were like five years behind. And you I was the kid. And I was already looked, behind. What, 
And and what did you think during uh, of Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park when you first saw it? Were you into it? Or were you like, oh, I was so one? into it. I was oh, so into okay. it. But I knew, but I knew they jumped the shark. And after the Edward Newman interview, where Ace and Peter kind of went sideways, and I and I went to the filming of the movie, and I knew it was, and I didn't really know what was going on. You're just there, it's all day. You told your parents you're going to Magic Mountain. You hope you don't get in trouble. But what I did is funny because. After Unmasked came out, they definitely were. I had no credibility with Kiss in the neighborhood. Well, for, for the people that don't know, there's a lot of people that don't know. Uh, uh, um, Dynasty was their first disco album. That was yeah. 78. That was right yeah. after the movie. The movie, disco. Now, and then, and then uh, the next album was called Unmasked. Unmasked. Was, Unmasked was the most disco. They, they, they could doubled, not. They, they only played down. one show in the U.S. on that tour. But they went to uh, Australia and they were the mother freaking Beatles. Oh, yes. Born again. But let me just tell you. So I made a film. My, my guys in my neighborhood knew Kiss, but not enough to decipher who was singing what. So I made a mix. I made a tape of Unmasked and then took it around the neighborhood to everyone and said, oh, this is this new band I found. Check them out. Dude, and I, I didn't did say who too. it was. And they all loved it. And I was like, that's Kiss, you fuckers. Dude, I did that with, with the elder. I, my friends would come over and I would play the oath. Yeah, that's the, the thing. Sell out records. Kiss was, Kiss was underground, heavy, heavy for back then. Evil, they had a Satan dude in the band. They were fucking no, they adults them. like them from 73 to 77. 78. Please. They go disco a little bit. People are like, what? So the disco album was a dynasty. And then Unmasked, they doubled down. And that's when they lost everybody. They couldn't even tour the United States. They went from the biggest band in the world in 77 to 1980. They can't even play a concert. They were competing with Van Halen, 79, first two records. They're competing with Judas Priest. Scorpions are now coming on to it. Animal Magnetism's coming out. I mean, uh, Love Drive. Um, uh, fucking Dio has just joined Sabbath, Heaven and Hell's out in 1980. Journey's bubbling up. I mean, they were toast. Yes, yes. And the crazy thing is, um, I got, um, I got so obsessed with Kiss, but I only got $2 a week from my grandpa. So I was behind. I realized, like, damn, I got like seven, eight albums to buy. I had all, all I had was a live one. So me and my best friend, we were we were the youngest kids on the block. We were both eight and everybody else like my brother was 12 and his friend was 12. And then we had a couple 14 year olds and a couple 16 year olds. But me and Matt, we were the youngest and we were the ones that were really into kiss. And the older guys like Eric lived across the street. He was 12. He was already into rush and and uh and, and the police you know and those were his bands like rush was the police was his band and rush was his band it's like we were so we were a bunch of mexicans in santa Ana. Uh, we were all mexicans into rock on our street we were and everybody had because we were all so broke that if i bought an album nobody else in the block is going to buy it they're going to tape it off me right going to buy it and but if you have the tape that's not really your band. Whoever has the master, the record, that's their band. And we treated it like football. Like it was like they were football teams. Right. Yeah. So I was, I had kiss and Matt had kiss the two young kids on the block. We were, those were our football teams. We were like Rams fans. We like kiss. And then every, my brother who was four years older than me, he had Van Halen yeah, and Halen. So um, we really looked at bands like, 
like uh, football teams because we would like bag on each other. Like, dude, Peter Chris sucks. Neil Burt is way better. And I'm like, fuck, man, you're right. So I was a, I was, I was into Kiss, but I wanted to trade Peter, and I wanted to trade. Yeah. And a- you're trying to argue with some guy going, no way, man. Peter won the Gallup poll, 1980. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you knew, I knew deep down inside, he was nowhere near. Uh, the level skill level at drums as like Neil Pert from Rush. That's a whole different fucking level. Peter Chris from Kiss, Neil Pert from Rush, different dimensions. But I was so into Kiss that I, I had I invited a one of my friends over once, and I played um, the drum solo, the Kiss Peter Chris drum solo on a hundred thousand years. It's it's on the live album. I played it on fucking seventy seven, the fast speed. So like if you play, can you imagine a drum solo, but you play it on the fast speed, and and I, I'll never forget my my uh, uh, my friend who always talks shit on Peter. I go, this is fucking drum solo. It was so fast, it was ridiculous. And he was like, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So I had to cheat, dude. I had to cheat, and everybody was like, Ace. I'm like, I love I love the solo of Strange Ways. The Strange Ways solo, that solo can can hang with any solo of all time. All time in history, I don't give a fuck if it's uh, Ingve Malmsteen or Eddie Van Halen. You listen to Strange Ways. That's one of the best solo. That's my favorite solo of all time. Of all you know, time. It's funny you mentioned that because you wanted to talk about the top ten records, and I had to. I was going through it, and you know what? I had to drop Hotter Than Hell out of my top ten. Damn! Damn! Really? Damn. Okay. I did. I replaced that made my top ten. I put. I replaced it with Unmasked. Oh shit! Oh, you know that's... why? Because Al, rock and roll, the debut record. Okay, hold on real quick. He's talking about Hotter Than Hell is one of the, the original three that was right. heavy. And everybody it just, was slow. It was a tr- it, it plugged along. The songs were, 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 I liked like Detroit Rock City. I liked Shout, uh, um, I Stole Your Love. I love thrash. I love punk. I love motorhead. I love fast metal. And those songs were the pre- Pre, you know, preceded that for me. Love Gun too, and that record just pl- just kind of like it felt like a it felt like Peter Chris's heroin record. <laughs> You're right. The production on yeah. Hotter Than Hell is really strange. It sounds yeah. it's uh, the guitar sound is just. I mean, it it almost sounds like Smashing Pumpkins to tell you the truth. You know, it you is, know, yeah. Corgan he puts like thirty five layers of guitar to get that weird fucking grunge. I love Smashing Pumpkins, by the way. I do too. I, I think I've interviewed him many times. He's a great guy. Yeah, and I've talked yeah. a lot of Rush with Billy Corgan. <laughs> I love Billy Corgan, but you uh, purposely wanted that that draggy, thick, muddy, super muddy sound, and that's what kind of hotter than. The, but but I'm talking about the solo, Strange Ways. So I know, I know you are that though. Besides but, Strange Ways, that solo, Ace Freely was nowhere near Eddie Van Halen. Even Alex Lifeson was fucking him up, you know. So I was like, damn, we need another fucking guitar player. So you brought up Vinnie Vincent before. Finally, Ace Freely was the first. Uh, oh no, Peter Chris left first. Uh, the drummer. Um, that's a whole fucking story. Uh, so Kiss started falling apart in 78, 79, losing their fans, couldn't tour during Unmasked. 
They can't even tour the United States. But like Greg said, they went to Australia and Australia, even though they were completely dead, they were deader than dead. They were like MC. Australia is always two years behind us. Yeah. And then they go to uh, Australia, dude. And it's they're like the Beatles in Australia. It's so strange. Right. And they had no idea that they died because of this album. And they go to Australia and play that album live. They're playing Shandy live and everyone's fucking loving it, man. I like every song on Unmasked. I like every song on Rock and Roll Over. I like every song on Dress to Kill. There's not too many more. And the live record, the, the debut record. I, you know, Love Gun's got a stinker. Destroyer, you can take great, great expectations and toss that every day of the week. Yeah, Creatures has some great songs. I would throw Ace's solo record in there. Lick It Up is great. Uh, is Lick a It Up record. is amazing. I have a- no except for Lick in- It Up, except for the song Lick yeah. It Up, take that one out the mix. But the Lick It Up album as a whole, to me, you're gonna find out how high it is on on my top ten. Um, uh, Alive Two, I like. I like the, the you know the four songs. I I have to take them when I when I when I try to put them in a top ten, like. How I loved them then and the impact they had on me, but how they affect me today. I probably wouldn't listen to Live Two ever again because the crowd <laughs> noise is too is too much. Yeah, except for Side Four. Um, but uh, Paul Stanley's solo record is great. That's one of my favorites. Animalized, Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade, Revenge. I don't. I, I except for the hits. I, I don't have any interest in. I st- certainly don't collect any non makeup stuff. <laughs> no, I got to say, low. you love talking about that. No, no. So, so not. Yeah. So for the people that don't know, let me, let me just rush through the kiss history real quick. I'm giving you all the tracks you become, you got to make the playlist. All right. I'm just showing you all the different songs. You, you uh, arrange them the way you want. That's all it is. So when you're playing quarter guard, you only have one way. You can go dogfight or you could go deep half stuff. You could do that shit too. Like if I have this right here, I can go to dogfight. Right? I can come up here and attack. This is like a tug of war grip right here. This is a burrito grip here. And then from here, so to get that underhook, he's not letting me get the under, but if I can get a hold of a two-on-one burrito grip here and then shoot up and pin it and get up on my elbow here. And then I'm gonna go bam and just dive in and grab this. And then once I'm here, I'm gonna half plex him, make him base, and then bring that knee up. Boom. If you can't get the lockdown, fuck him, but you got quarter guard, get that underhook. Start battling the wrist. Get that up. Boom. Did that help? They went disco, they experimented with disco in 78. They're huge, they're giant, but now they're start they're losing their fan base. And then the, when they tour in 79. Uh, for Dynasty, man, they're playing small fucking places. And then in 1980, they doubled down. Instead of going back to their roots, they said, fuck it, let's go more polish and go unmasked. And I loved unmasked. I didn't even know they were selling out. I didn't even know what selling out was. I you loved, were too young, yeah. I loved unmasked. I was like, "What's? what are you guys talking about? I'm 10 years old. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? But like to 16 year olds, they're like, dude, they sold the fuck out. And I'm like, I love unmasked. I loved every song in unmasked. And you know what's funny, Eddie? Just, I know I keep going on this, but you know, the whole thing about selling out back in the day, that's what the whole punk movement was against. The Who sold out. These things sold out. And all these bands today and these things, if you don't sell out today, you're not going to make a living. And it's come full circle because everyone sells out today. And sell out isn't even a word anymore. But back then it was so taboo that you sold out. But you know what? You were making a lot of money if you sold out. I used to tell my buddy Steve Perry, 
you made a lot of money when you could make a lot of money. And now you can't. You're not going to make money recording and selling records. It's only touring and merch. And the labels are going to try to take that from you too. So the sellout thing is such a funny thing because today, if you don't sell out, you're stupid. Yeah. So they got it got really bad for Kiss. And now they put out a semi-disco album. Dynasty that was 70 79 without and, playing drums on yeah it. and and on that one uh yeah so now that now they're they went from being uh, the biggest band in the world in 77 now they're fucking falling apart and then Dynasty was their disco album and Peter Chris the drummer didn't even play on anything except for one song the song that he wrote and dirty, and dirty and living. you uh, he, the biggest kiss song ever on paper you do the math is Beth, which was a ballad that Peter Chris wrote. And he, he never, he didn't really know how to write songs. He wasn't a good songwriter. He wasn't the main songwriter was Paul Stanley, the, the, the star child, the feminine prancer. And then Gene Simmons, the demon, they were the two, they were like Paul McCartney and John Lennon. They wrote mostly everything. And uh, they sang, they switched off and sang shit. Some songs they're always, it's always Gene and Paul singing. And then Ace, the guitar player wrote a lot, but he would write for Peter, the drummer, and it, because he had a great voice, even though he really couldn't write music, he had a, Peter had a great voice, and he could sing his ass off. He sang, he sang Black Diamond, and he would write a little bit. He wrote a, an old song back in this old band he was in before Chelsea. It was called Beck, and uh, like a little ballad. It was a joke song, actually. And then once they started getting big, uh, Peter, the guy who barely writes anything but has a great voice, goes to the producer, Bob Ezrin, after they do the live album, they do Destroyer with a big name producer, Bob Ezrin, who worked with Alice Cooper, and, and he was just a big name. And uh, Peter goes up to Bob Ezrin, their new producer, who's going to uh, make the album Destroyer, which is probably the biggest Kiss album ever. Um, he uh, he says, hey, I got this old song I wrote. So Bob Ezrin, the producer, put it together and it was like a ballad and none of the guys in the band, they were like Peter and, uh, uh, not Peter, but Paul and Gene and Ace, they weren't like, they're like, fuck this. This is like a, some kind of, it's, it was too ballady. It was too soft, but they went ahead and did it. The producer liked it. They put it on. They put it on a B-side of their single and the B-side blew up way bigger than the single. And that was Beth. So well, Peter was like, I want, I want to write more shit. I want to write more shit. He got lucky with that. Bob Ezrin put that shit together. And he's like, I want to write more shit. Meanwhile, he's, he's fucked up on, 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 uh, he's an alcoholic. He's, he's out of control. Okay. Uh, um, he was on what else? Cocaine, heroin, but also, you know what? And so was Bob Ezrin. They were so coked out of their minds. And that B-side was, they just threw it on there and it was accidentally played probably by a coked out um, DJ in Detroit, which is part of their love of Detroit. And he actually played the wrong song and he flipped it and that's how it became a hit. But let's, let's kind of lighten up a little on the Prancer and Paul Stanley feminine thing just a bit because I really think Paul was taking the whole because he could hide behind a mask he could take the bowie the 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 the, the um uh mick jagger the um just take that to the fullest and he's a great front man so i i don't you know and i'm not you know i'm not trying to you know just i i don't want to call in the you know refer to him in in a in a way that I think he was playing a role. The way I look at it now is when you find out later, like I, I'm in my forties when I found out uh, Paul Stanley had um, an, a, 
his ear yeah, was his deformed. Ear. Yeah. His ear was deformed. And it was all right. like melted and twisted. And as a kid, he used to get it's like a blocks. UFC fighter's ear. Yeah, like worse than that. Worse than yeah. that. It was like he yeah, didn't even have an ear. It was like just so he would get teased at school and that was like a thing that was like his number one like that was crushing him as a kid so yeah. when he saw uh like the beatles and he saw dudes with long hair playing music he's like, oh shit i have a reason to grow if i if i start making music this is coming out of his mouth if i start making music i want to be a rock star so i can cover my ear so once i found that out i thought no wonder he didn't care about people uh, questioning his um, sexuality. No, and not at all. And they like, it, was, it was almost like a distraction. He was like, "You could, you could, you could think I'm gay or whatever." I don't. He give was, a he was, he was playing it up as much as he can. And I've interviewed kids fourteen times, or been around him, and been around him a lot more. And I and, and Paul's a very sweet guy. And um, I'll be honest with you, the only. And Gene, I've had different experiences with Gene. I actually put Gene and Paul and my parents in a kitchen together and said, I just wanted to put the people that screwed me up the most in life together for a few moments. <laughs> and that was during the revenge tour at Rockline. But I've spent a lot of time with them. And a lot of what they say about the other band members, I've found to be very true. And um, I will tell you this, the only time I ever redirected like Rockline was always very transparent and you took a call and you put it up. If I decided I wanted to take the call up, I didn't always try to change the person's question. Sometimes I would try to change the way they asked it just so it made a little more sense because sometimes they were completely excited. But when Peter Chris's book came out, I found it to be so whiny. I don't know if you read that book. I didn't read that book. I don't yeah, read And I've read all four of them and they, you know, all those books are, what's that? I said, I don't read books, man. <laughs> I, you know what? All of those books, any of those rock star books, you know, you have to take them with a grain of salt. But I found his to be so just kind of strange that that was the first time when I had an artist on Rockline that I felt like if I directed a question for them uh, or a question to them that might make them react in a way negatively toward the other band members like Gene and Paul, it could affect me getting Gene and Paul on the show again. And so I actually kind of censored it or redirected calls and didn't wasn't as transparent as I always like to be and said, you know what, I'm not going to put that call up because he's going to say something that's going to fuck up something in the future. Yeah, I get it. I get, get it. it. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, um, OK, so now we're at they've totally sold out unmasked 1980. Uh, they doubled down on disco. So that it was a complete failure, except for Australia. Uh, Peter yeah. Chris is already already out. They got a, a replacement they got a drummer. He's a fox yeah. now. They went from a cat to a fox. Peter Chris is out. He he got lucky with Beth um, and he thought, oh, I'm gonna go solo. They all did solo albums together before before he split. They go, OK, you want to do solo? Album? How about we all do solo albums and we'll put them out together? No band has ever did that ever. No band. All of them, all of them were gold. They, they, and they all came back as like completely returned. So they all got declared gold at five hundred thousand, and probably three hundred thousand of them got returned. Yeah, yeah. So, um, man, they didn't want Peter to leave, but Peter was like, "I want to do. I want to do. I wrote Beth," and they're like, "Dude, you didn't write Beth. Dog. Bob Ezrin wrote fucking Beth. You wrote one line." He's like, "No, that's bullshit." And I'm gonna. He goes, "Okay, okay, okay." I don't know if it was Paul or Gene. But I don't know if it was 
the the dancer or um, the demon. But they said, why don't we all fucking do solo albums and put them on? Can you imagine if the Beatles all did solo albums and every cover, every cover is the same, has the same look, same artist, same look, yeah. just different color. They all match the, the Kiss solo albums. No band has ever put out four solo albums at the same time and made them like one thing. Um, unfortunately, the Peter Chris solo album, whoa, that was, whoa, that was, uh, to me, I think that's probably... Um, right up there with uh, Monster and, uh, and Sonic Boom, like as uh, how much I like them. Like I never listen to, I, I don't know. I don't know nothing about Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom and uh, Monster are the two Kiss albums. It's a long story, man, but they're still around. They got two original guys and two not original guys, but they dress like the original guys. Fucking weird. Really weird. They're still doing it. It's like a Las Vegas show. I have no interest. I have no interest in them anymore. Let me let me make that clear. I am not trying to go to any of their shows with they got a, a fake ace and a fake Peter. I ain't trying to, I don't want to they put out two albums too. I'm like, I know one song is like Black Dolly or something. As as much shit as I'm talking about Kiss, all the good shit. And I got a podcast about Kiss. I won't listen to their last two albums because we'll get to we'll connect the dots, but where they're where they're at now, I'm not with them at all anymore. I'm like, I completely abandoned what they're doing now, but they affected me so much growing up. And I still listen to the old shit. The old shit's awesome. But so now they had to double down. What are they gonna do? They put out a mass in 1980. Are they gonna try to go back and go heavy? next album or are they gonna continue with this disco shit just, just one, one quick thing they they placated so much to peter that the producer of his solo record was benny Poncia. Poncia. and they did him on both those two next records let him be the producer insane insane, insane. right yeah. um Although I do like Dynasty, the first disco record, Unmasked. It's okay, the but there's disco a couple, record, the there's double a couple down one. On I love right those. Now, now there's um, the Savior Love, Aces song. There's some good songs on there. Um, again, Char Charisma, Magic Touch, X Ray Magic Eyes. Touch. I love those songs. Charisma, um, are you kidding me? That's one of the greatest every kids record. But there's some dingers on that record. And, and I loved Unmasked. And then here comes the Elder. Now we're going to do a fucking concept. See, that's exactly what happened. So instead of going, they have a choice. Should we go back to our old shit? Should we continue and triple down on, on uh, disco? They go, no. Why don't we make a fucking concept record like about Lord of the fucking Rings? <laughs> that's what they did. They did a Lord of the Rings concept record. It wasn't Lord of the Rings, but it was it was a story exactly like Lord of the Rings. Some it was called Music for the Elder. They were gonna they said fuck it, we're not gonna go back to our heavy shit. Although the album had some back heavy to Bob Ezrin, back to Bob Ezrin. They yeah. went Bob Ezrin, yes. They went back to the 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 big the first big producer that they got after the live record blew up, and then they go, damn, next studio album, Destroyer. Now we get the big legit producers. They blew up first three albums, didn't do shit. They were about to go under. They were broke. They put out a live record. Record, that blows them up. So now their next studio record, Destroy, they get Bob Ezra. So now, uh, five years later, six years later, they're like at a crossroads. Do we go back to old school? Do we keep doing disco? And they go, no, let's get Bob Ezrin back. And he's totally fucking coked out, out of his mind. He even admits that in his own uh, interviews. Like they brought him back to try to save the the band because they were, they were about to just go. And, then, and this was the new. This this was the new romantic era, 
Remember, remember that? Yes, Duran Duran, all that yeah. shit. So they decide, yeah, yeah, they look like, uh, so they decided let's do a concept record about and make a movie. Let's make a concept record and make a movie called The Elder. Total Lord of the Ring, total Lord of the Rings. And um, I fucking loved it, man. I fucking, I, that's one of my favorite fucking albums. They decided to go experimental, but it was retail suicide. Because right there, everybody just pulled the plug on them and they said, what? What is this shit? Because boring although album they, cover, totally boring album cover after coming off things like Love Gun and Destroyer. Yes. It's like a, the, 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 too. the album, the album cover of the elder is like a, a door, door, door and some, someone knocking on it. Like, worst. what the fuck are you guys thinking? Even unmasked turn it over. a great record cover. But it would, dude, dude, it had some, like, it opens up with the it oath. Does. It's got the some good oath. songs. Are you kidding me? The oath. And I will say this. One of my alt, it could be my favorite Kiss song of all time. It could be Under the Fucking Rose. Fucking never get tired of that song. Never. I thought I thought the record set up Preachers perfectly, which is one of my favorite records. Yes, yes. So they completely uh, take a big shit. Everybody, they're like, they lost their fucking manager. And then we could, the manager's a whole nother story. The guy who got him a record deal, he was a TV guy. His name was Bill Coin. He's the, like the brainchild behind him. He, he Casablanca, Village People, Stars. He bought those. Up. There was a guy, Bill O'Coin. Um, yeah. uh, Paul Stanley made some, he said some crazy shit about um, their manager, Bill O'Coin, in his book, Crazy Shit. Like, crazy shit. Like, damn. Uh, he's dead now. He died of AIDS. He died of AIDS. Um, so uh, I don't know. I didn't want to get into it, but their manager was came from TV and he, he saw them when they were in their club days. He went to a club. And saw them and say, you know what? I could blow these motherfuckers up. So he blew them up, and 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 he got he turned them into like this merchandise fucking extravagant. Hundred million dollars a year by nineteen seventy six, yeah. and he put and he financed their first three tours and records on credit cards. Yeah, he, uh, I don't know. You kind of cut out there, but he, what he said oh. is, Bill Coin financed the first few tours when they were like struggling on his credit card, his American Express. He would just put twenty eight thousand dollars. Go, we could because he knew they were going to be big. He knew, but their first three albums, radio stations were like, dude, these guys look like clowns. What the dude? They didn't like blow up immediately. They struggled because yeah. the people didn't take them seriously. Go, what All bands did back so, in the day. What was that? All bands took two or three albums to hit back in the day like that. Today, if you don't hit on the first one, you're done. You're one and done. And it got so bad being a fan of Kiss. It got so bad that my my buddy, Matt, who was also a fan of Kiss, he had to abandon ship. He had to denounce Kiss. He had to say, 
No more kiss ain't my band, no more journeys, my band now. So he oh, said, Fuck yeah. it. He went with journey. And I'm like, he left me alone. So I'm I'm by myself. Now I'm like 11 years old, and all the older kids are like 15, 16, talking mad shit on me liking kiss. It was like the equivalent of liking vanilla ice. It was the same thing. It's the same thing as that four-year window. They are light years ahead of you in rock and roll at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sabbath, Van Halen. Totally. Years. Exactly. My brother had Van Halen. Eric across the street had Rush. Man, I was like, when Peter Chris was gone, he, he, he you know, he had trouble. They, they blew up. They went disco. He wrote the ballad bet that blew up. He wanted a more, more credit. And uh, he's gone. I didn't give a fuck when Peter left. I'm like, dude, I got to I got to fuck with Neil Peart. I need someone to battle Neil Peart. So when Eric Carr came in, he gets a new guy comes in. He's the Fox. He's I mean, he's nowhere near Neil Peart, but he was he was way better than Peter. So I'm like, you know what? He's not, I can't brag too much about him, but he's better than fucking Peter Chris, you know? Right. So I was like, cool with Eric Carr. I go, he's fine. He's fine. But honestly, I wanted, I wanted to trade ACE too. I go, dude, I got, I got Eddie Van Halen. I, my brother's fucking with Eddie Van Halen every goddamn night. I need another guitar player. So <laughs> he was on his way out too. He would like, Peter was all drugged out ego, all that shit. Wasn't happy. Couldn't, he was gone first, but ACE, the guitar player, he was almost on his way out too. He hung in there longer than Peter, but eventually he, he, you know, he had to get cut out and get replaced. But there, during the elder, I had to pretend I didn't like kiss anymore. I couldn't take it. I couldn't fucking take it. So I denounced it. And my brother's four years older than me. And he loved to humiliate me and make me cry in front of my friends. And one day he decided he showed he, he decided to um, humiliate me. But at the same time, show me that he loved me because this is what he did in front of all my friends. He goes, he still likes kiss. He still, I catch him listening to kiss. I said, no, I don't like kiss. He goes, yes, you fucking do. You still got records. How about if I scratch one of your fucking kiss records? Oh, I, bet you, no. I bet you'll freak out. And I'm like, well, why, why would I freak out? I don't, I don't like kiss no more. He goes, Oh really? In front of all my friends, he pulls out a kiss record. Boom. He goes, I'm gonna scratch this one. And dude, he was being cruel and I wanted to kill him. I wanted like, Oh my God, I hope my brother dies. I hope my you brother dies. Story, you know, yeah. but he pulls out Peter Chris's solo record. <laughs> so he showed me that he loved me, but he also got the humiliation uh, factor that he needed to, for all my friends and his friends to, sh you know, he wanted to look like a badass motherfucker. So he pulls out Peter Chris and takes some keys and scratches the shit out of him and then puts it back in. And I didn't even flinch. I said, I don't give a fuck. I don't, I told you I don't like kiss and they're like, okay, okay. So he like gave me a little wink. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, he scratched it. He knew I never listened to that album. He knew I wanted to break that motherfucker. I didn't give a shit about the Peter Chris record. That was horrible. I'll never like that. I will never right. like that. You matter to me. Uh, I think I listened to it three times when I was fucking 10, you yeah, know, but really, you know, everyone's clamoring now for the reissues and there's a huge market on kiss live auctions on Facebook where, where people, you know, a lot of people bought the nineties the reunion stuff and uh, thinking that the same 
toys would sell and become as valuable as they were from the 70s stuff, which is out of control right now uh, in terms of collectibles. And these people bought all, and I was victim of it too. I scooped up a bunch of stuff. It turns out to be pretty, some of it now is starting to gain traction, but like Universal released in 2014 and 87 and uh, you know they did some super saver series or or um in 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 a couple of those years where they re-released vinyl but they never released a lot of the peter chris ones and now they're hard to find and very valuable oh god can you imagine <laughs> and even some guys have even gone out and reproduced and worked with universal to put out these shitty solo records and much yeah. like the ones with you know, I know you, I know you're going in a minute here to get into those solo wreck. I mean, these 80s non-makeup wrecks. We got to get into Creatures of the Night. The Creatures of the Night, that, it's okay. that's crucial. I know where you're going. That's crucial. But you know, I don't like that shit. And it's funny how people eat that. Bruce, Bruce Kulik used to live right behind me. And he moved to makeup. He's talking about Bruce Kulik was, uh, when we, we're going to get to it, the non-makeup years when they decided to yeah, take we'll off do that. makeup. Hopefully we go through that fast because... You no, 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 we will, we will, we will. But, but, um, but, but I that, don't, uh, I just don't like that era. I get it, I get it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I liked it um, while it was happening because you got to understand this. And I did go to the now they 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 do that concept record. They do the Lord of the Rings record. I fucking loved it. The oath under the rose, fucking Mister Blackwell. I love. Right. I like just just the boy. I love that fucking song. It's um, a great record. Uh, yeah, only you, dark light, the solo on dark light. I love that. Yeah, no, well, I am. I'm with you. But I had to pretend I didn't. Do you know my name? This episode of Look Into It is brought to you by ChowMeals.com. If you're like me and are too busy to cook high-quality meals but want to live a healthy lifestyle, the answer is ChowMeals.com. They make great-tasting and highly nutritious meals delivered right to your door anywhere in the lower 48 United States of America. Go to ChowMeals.com today and put in the promo code BRAVO. That's promo code BRAVO for 10% off everything. Thank you and enjoy. I had to denounce I had to do the same thing too much pressure. Mask. Too much fun. Dude, I bought Creatures of the Night. I snuck into my backyard, hid the album behind the trash cans, and I went inside the house to make sure nobody was home. I was like, Mom? Junior? Anybody home? And then I run in the backyard, bring Creatures of the Night, and then hide it in my record collection, hoping my brother same doesn't thing, find it. Same thing with Unmasked. And I was trying to convince everyone they were still cool, except I was four years older than you or five. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Creatures of the Night See that the album that came after The Lord of the Rings album They decided fuck we have no choice We gotta go Dude they, they, they decided to go old school so quick We gotta bring it back They put their old costume They came out with their old 1977 costumes They said fuck it So it's called Creatures of the Night 1982 Heavy as fuck The heaviest drum sound of Dude, that, that may be the biggest, craziest drum sound in heavy metal history. My buddy did those records and um, he did the drum sounds and lived in the studio. And, um, you know, you can look up his name on the record, but he that record crushes and the drum sounds on that record. And you got to remember, there's a song by fucking Brian Adams on that record. He wrote War Machine. War Machine. It's crazy. And didn't even think about it and get any credit for it. And then subsequently, Eric... Carr wrote a single for him on his uh, his huge record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Summer so, of 69 or whatever it was. 
And um, I, I love that record. It's big. And that was that. And they played small, small tour around the country, but bigger than Dynasty. And they played Universal Amphitheater here in L.A. when it was still. It, it was not uncovered. It was covered, but with Motley Crue opening 1980. Yeah. yeah. So they decided to go. Fuck it. That no choice. everywhere else. Yeah. That no choice to go back to their, uh, try to um, regain their old school fans. They put their old costumes on the old kisses back, the heaviest drum sound. Of, I mean, that production on that album. But, it, 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 but, but all their other records have been rock and roll records or heavy hard rock. This was a metal record. Yes. Yes. But, but it was too little, too late. Right. The, the tour, even though, like you said, was, it may have been better than dynasty. Even Paul Stanley says on his, in his book, and I didn't read it. I heard it. I heard the audio. I don't read books. I hear them. So he said that during Creatures of the Night, it was the most painful ever. They were like, it was like a death march. Every show they showed up, they were like wondering where, if anybody was going to show up. He said there was a, uh, there was a couple of times where they, they were at a 10,000 seat arena and like 1,500 people showed up. <laughs> it was horrible. So now it's too little, too late. Great album. The song, the title track, Creatures of the Night, Oh my God! I never get tired of that one. That's one of that's one of my favorite all oh, yeah. time songs. Me too. Absolutely. The drum sound, the the drum fill, the drum fill. A drum fill starts the album. It starts Creatures of Night. That's track one, and it's just it just lets you know right away. Like, what is this drum sound well, about? That is, that is it's like holy shit! Right from the, the first that, ten that, seconds is insane. It's Eric's record. It's Eric's come through record, or whatever you call it. Yeah, but it was too little, too late. I was secretly into that. It was too late. It was too late. You're, you're just. It's obvious now that you're desperate. It was obvious. So people just and I had to still keep pretending that I didn't like Kiss, and I had to and uh, um, and then all of a sudden I'll never forget. I'm at the swap meet. I used to work at a swap meet. I'm at a swap meet walking through and there's like records up. They're selling records at a swap meet. And I look, I didn't even know this was happening. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know. I was, I just went to the record store, wasn't paying attention or the record section of the swap meet. And I saw a kiss record and they're standing. It's a white kiss record and they don't have any makeup on. And I'm like, what the, f what? And it's kiss, lick it up. They have no makeup because they had an album called Unmasked because everybody wanted them to take their makeup off. So the album Unmasked was like, oh, we're going to you think we're going to take our makeup off, but our makeup's still on. It's like they're unmasking, but their makeup is still on. So it was like a like a troll. We're not going to take the makeup off. Everybody wanted their makeup off. Another cr crazy thing about Kiss, no one knew what they looked like. So a big part of Kiss was getting pictures of them without their makeup and they put them up in the tabloids. And it was very, to get a picture of them, nobody knew what they looked like. They and were actually the, 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 the tabloids actually played into it because they made more money by not releasing the photos and oh. keeping the mystery going. So yeah. the tabloids were in on it, and they, for years, never released anything except for that one Cream mistake they did in the Cream interview. Cream magazine, and, right? And no one believed it. Yeah. yeah, totally. I remember that. I remember, so it was like a yeah. big thing. Like, what do these guys really look like? So in a in a in a a genius kind of way, that's the best way to be. A, that's the the best kind of fame is where you can reach that ultimate A list fame. 
but nobody knows what you look like. You can still do, you can go to the supermarket. Nobody has any idea. But uh, when you have the makeup on, you're fucking like, like a God, you know? So it was, it's a, it's actually a smart thing to be famous and have like this costume. Nobody knows what you look like. So you could live a regular life. You could do both. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's genius. The whole thing is Bill O'Coin was genius. The moves, the way they danced on, not danced or pranced, but the day that they, the, 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 the mechanical moves and even how Paul, you know, Gene, you know, all the breathing fire it, it, between Paul and it, I mean, uh, Bill and his lover, um, Sean, they came up with so many things that it was funny. The other day I took a kiss jacket into work to sell. Um, I had sold it on eBay and I just had to box it up. And one of the guys I work with, outside my office was like, Oh, are you a member of the kiss army? And I go, Oh, long time member. And he's a little bit older guy. And another kid there goes, is that like the BTS army? I'm like, yes, exactly. It's the BTS army. That's their fan club. I go, everything you know about your band and all your EDM shit and every year, all your, 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 your bands today with their hip, with their um, fire and their, you know, their stage productions, and they're flying around like pink. You can re, you can probably trace it back to Kiss. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. So now the the BTS army. I'm like, yes, yeah, they're <laughs> brand new. They've never been around before. <laughs> so Kiss finally drops their fucking makeup because it was too little, too late. Creatures of the night. It was heavy, great album, but people were like, we're not having it. They had Motley Crue open up and that was when Motley that Crue was, was heavy because Motley Crue went through the same thing. Kiss went, they started mm -hmm. off heavy underground. Yeah. Then they got all fucking fruity. And then, then they had to go back heavy again. They Everyone goes, I think they got to go back to their roots. Everyone got to go back to their roots. Right. They went from lock up, look out your daughter to lock up your daughter by the third record. Yes. Um, so now, so now they go, they go, when they go lick it up, they got a new guitar player now who played on uh, a lot of the creatures, of the night stuff. So what people didn't know is uh, most people thought, I mean, Ace Freely, Ace Freely, the guitar player, one of the original members, he was already gone, but they put him on the fucking album cover. They didn't want to right. tell the record company that they lost Ace because they thought that, you know, the record company would be like, wait a minute, you know, they probably wouldn't even, they probably drop him or something. So they went ahead and just pretended like Ace was on the album, but a guy named Vinny Vincent, his name is Vincent Cusano, but um, his name was Vincent Cusano when he played on the album and he wrote uh, the, the hits on the album. This guy was like, he comes in and he's like, you know, great songwriter trying to save them. And like, dude, we, we got to put, we got to, we got to go back to our roots. This is our last chance. Fuck. So they bring in Vincent Cusano. They really didn't like him, but he was a great songwriter and a, re a really great guitar player. And then he ends up just joining the band, goes on tour during the Creatures of the Night tour. Ace didn't even go on tour. So now he's an Egyptian. He's got an onk. He's got an onk on his face, Vinnie Vincent. And so now we got a new drummer who's a fox. Cat guy is out. And then a new guitar player who is an Egyptian, like a uh, god or something. And um, uh, his name is Vinnie Vincent. And I love he's the onk, I love he's the onk, onk warrior. Yes, the Ankh Warrior. And now, so he did the Ankh Egyptian thing on just one tour, the Creatures of the Night tour, and then they dropped the makeup. So now he's got this new makeup, and now, boom, now you gotta, we got to drop it, lick it up, comes out. Now they have no makeup, but the only two original guys are Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. The other two guys, no one really cared about if they uh, lost their makeup. You know what I mean? Like, we barely even know you guys. You know, if it would have been all four of them, lick it up, 
and then they dropped the makeup, all four original, that would have had a greater impact. But um, all that was really going on was they were just trying to survive. They knew the makeup was just uh, uh, just done. Nobody wanted to see it. I was so happy they dropped their fucking makeup and they got a guitar player that was way better than Ace Freely. I, I love Ace Freely. I respect him. Race, uh, uh, he's a the legend. Problem, the problem was is that Paul and Eric were very user-friendly in terms of music videos. And, and Vinny was weird looking and so was Gene. And Gene, it was completely uncomfortable being out of costume you could tell. totally yeah so now they have no makeup gene is like a yeah. demon he's used to being a demon now he doesn't have any makeup so they didn't really didn't know what to do on stage but that album lick it up most of it was written by the new guitar player vincent cusano who um uh changed his name to vinnie vincent when he joined officially he was vinnie vincent the onk warrior and then they dropped the makeup and now their first non-makeup record no makeup called lick it up Vinnie Vincent, he wrote most of it. And that that's makes it high on, uh, I'm not going to give it away right now, but it's in my top five, Lick It Up. Except for, I really don't like the song Lick It Up. That's really the only song that I don't like that much. But the rest of it's insane. Exciter, track one, Not For The Innocent, Young And Wasted, All Hell's Breaking Loose, Million To One, Fits Like A Glove. Are you kidding me? That album crushes and it's heavy. And that and Vinnie Vincent technically is way better than Ace Freely, but obviously Ace Freely is will always remain. Looking back now, that's how I felt while it was happening. But looking back as an old man now, Ace is a god. Ace is a legend. Ace is like, there'll never be another fucking Ace Freely. But I was a kid. I didn't realize that, you know, no, yeah, uh, I, I didn't yeah. know what was going on. All I knew was Eddie Van Halen was fucking up at Ace Freely. We needed a new guitar player, dog. You, you, you want to talk about the top 10 records, and I'm prepared to do it. And it's funny because it's I, it, like a live's number one for me, but it's because of where it hit me in my life. But as we walk through them, I can tell you why they they fit certain ways and why they don't and how they how they affect me now. Like I would never go listen listen to any of the non makeup records anymore. Okay, I so, so no, not even lick it up? Not even lick maybe it that up. One. Dude, maybe lick that it up one. is so good. I get it. I get it. I was But I don't and I and uh, there's a lot of people that collect the non makeup era, the Bruce Kulick era. And I have zero interest in that. And I have zero interest in the post-96 reunion stuff. I've bought collections just to get what I wanted out of the 70s side. And I had to take the 80s or 90s, I'm sorry, the 2000, you know, the post-reunion stuff just because I had to take the whole collection. And I immediately sell that shit off. <laughs> so the, so basically the 70s were the makeup years. And uh, you know, a couple, couple years later. We, we just call it the coin era. Yeah, yeah. And then and the 80s. Include, and, and it could include, um, and I don't collect um, any Australian stuff, but John Five, who I deal with a lot, he collects a lot of the Australian stuff. And he's got the biggest collection of anyone. So, Yeah, John Five is huge with Kiss. Uh, so, so just uh, before we get to the top 10, let's just, I'm just going to blast right through uh, their history. Okay. Okay. 70s makeup, they started underground, they turned into uh, a, a, a MC Hammer band, they lost all their fans, <laughs> they got desperate in the 80s, they dropped their makeup, they had no choice, lick it up, 
first non-makeup album. I loved it. It actually brought them back. It sold, it went platinum. So now they're with all the other bands, Motley Crue, Judas Priest, Rat, uh, Poison, Bon Jovi, White Snake. They're all with them. They were, they're so happy that they're on their level. They're no longer the greatest band ever, but now they don't have any makeup. They don't know how to dress. They're kind of dressing however the other heavy metal bands are dressing. They're wearing the same shit. They go, what is Bon Jovi wearing? Let's wear that. What is Poison wearing? Let's wear that. They didn't know what to do, but they were just so happy. They were in the mix, were able to tour U.S. tours and arenas, lick it up and Queen, uh, lick, the lick it up tour, the first non-makeup tour. That Queen's Reich, which, which was a new band, open up. That became Queen's Reich. I could do a whole show on Queen's Reich, dog. Queen's Reich is that's they're in my fucking soul. But um, so th then the eighties were all non uh, non makeup years. Then it was it, after Lick It Up was Animalized non makeup. Uh, there's some good tracks on that, but uh, um, Asylum was after that, another non-makeup album. That was like 1985 and 86. And then uh, 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 Crazy Nights was horrible. That was the makeup. that They did the same fucking thing. When they went the non-makeup, they did the same thing. The non-makeup first one was heavy as fuck. And then every album was a little less heavy. Another non-makeup album, Animalize, not that, uh, not as heavy. And then Asylum, they got a little girly there. They, they're starting to lose their heaviness. And then by Crazy Nights, that was like 1987. Dude, I hate that album. There's a couple good songs. No, no, no. I like that. It's all right. But God damn, I lost it. And then they started losing their fans again. They're like, dude, you're doing the same thing again. It, and then they during those non-makeup years, they only had Vinnie Vincent, that first one, lick it up. The first non-makeup album, Vinnie Vincent wrote everything. They they couldn't get along. They kicked him out. They just put in Bruce Kulick. So Bruce Kulick is their main non-makeup album. And, and no one really cared that much about him. Sorry, too. There are, it is like a niche following for him. But like, damn, this is the fourth Kiss guitar player. So he was just like there. People kind of ignored him and paid attention to Gene and Paul. And by that time, they got used to Eric Carr. The, the Fox guy, he don't have makeup no more. And like, it's, you know, that's the second drummer. At least they only went through one drummer with the guitar players. Oh my God. They went through another guitar player right after Vinnie Vincent. Let me back up. They got this other guy named Mark St. John. He gets the gig. They kick out Vinnie Vincent. They get Mark St. John. He dream gig, dream gig, writes the album. Then he has like writer syndrome, which he can't play guitar anymore. And his hands all fucked up. So he couldn't play no more. He played like two or three live shows. They got rid of him. Then they got Bruce Kulick. And at that point, that's their fourth guitar player. They're like, okay. Just play the fucking songs. He was good. Bruce Kulick was good. I liked him, but I was rooting for him. Because Bruce, so Kulick played on, Bruce Kulick played on Meatloaf's records. I mean, he, you, you actually summarized this all perfectly. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go but for it. it. But it's right. You, it was completely uninteresting. Gene was out. It was not. He was trying to do movies. Paul was trying to direct the band. They were just chasing the 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 next best thing. They were, they were trying, trying to survive. Like, they were trying to be in the mix and survive. And then they finally just like settled on revenge. And I never really got into revenge because I knew what was bubbling in terms of there may be a fucking reunion. Yeah. So that's the big thing is now half the band, the original band is gone. They're doing all these non-makeup albums without yeah. Ace, without Peter. And they go through the exact same fucking thing. They kick out Vinnie Vincent, There's the guy so who many, saved yeah. them, the guy who saved them and wrote, look it up, which is the, 
could be my favorite out kiss album of all time. He wrote it. They kick him out. His ego's too crazy. Maybe he did drugs. Vinnie Vincent's a weird guy. So they kick him out. They talk all sorts of shit on him. Vinnie Vincent is trying to sue him for royalties. Like he wants more money. They're saying, fuck you. They hate each other. They're talking shit. They have Bruce Kulik. They keep going. They're making albums. They do crazy nights. They went the, they went all the way down. They're fighting and, grunge. And then after crazy nights, uh, they decide to go back a little, a little heavier with Hot in the Shade. And that 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 some horrible songs. Read my body. Oh my god! Worse. So, so now they're lost. They don't know. They're back. They're 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 falling again. Damn! You fucking made a comeback. You made a comeback, and now you're blowing it. And so they decide, fuck, we got to go heavy again. So 1991, they go fuck. So then they do an album called Revenge, and they get Vinnie Vincent, the guy that saved them the first time. The guy that saved him the first time, who they talked all that shit on, talked so much shit on him. They hate that dude. But now they're like, oh, shit, let's ask Vinny if he can fucking help us write a couple songs. Vinny says, fuck it, let's do it. They write, he writes the only two great songs on the album. Vinny Vince, Unholy and Heart of Chrome. The rest of the album is just, I, I never listened to the rest of the album. But Heart of Chrome is great and Unholy is great. Vinny Vincent, the guy you guys talk so much shit on, now you you ask him to save you again? So they do revenge. And you know what? It did it did fairly well. Uh, but um, it, it uh, then they decided, fuck, let's go. Grunge is, is out now. So now they're like, let's do fucking Alice in Chains heavy shit. They decided to go crazy, dude. So they did an album after Revenge, after the, now they're back on track with Revenge. They're kind of back on track. Uh, now the next album they do is a fucking grunge album, dude. I listened to it like twice. It's called Carnival Souls. I was done. At that point, I'm like, okay, I think I'm done. I'm checking out now. Like you guys are, it's too fake. Cause I loved Alice in Chains. I'm like, dude, you, you, this is horrible. Um, but at that time, they did a kiss convention that I was at. It was right here in Burbank. They did Burbank, a kiss convention. Yeah, I was there too. Burbank. I was there. It was 1995, 96. Yeah. And, 95. and and Paul and Gene were there, and everyone's all these kiss fanatics are at this kiss convention, like a Star Trek convention, you know. So, like we already went through everything. We went through the early days. Makeup days, the disco days, you you try to make a comeback. It didn't work. You drop the makeup all through the 80s. You do the same thing without makeup. Start heavy and then slowly get weaker and weaker and then try to save the day with some heavy shit. And then you take it to the next level and go fucking Alice in Chains. Like, oh, my God. But then they do a 1995, 96. They do a kiss convention and Peter and Ace show up the two original guys, and they jam a couple songs. We're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. They get up there. They show. They're like, so um, um, I know Peter showed up. Would A show up on that one, too? A showed up. Uh, no, Peter showed up because what? It right wasn't there, Ace. It was Peter. Record behind me. Yeah. I finally got that original signed by Peter in the, in the hallway after that show. Oh, so shit. after Peter Clayton, I, I traced him down, and that was the first time I got that original sign by all four of them. So they're all jamming at this Kiss convention. Oh, yeah, they that. were all there. Yeah. And no, then, Ace wasn't there, but Peter was. Yes, but Peter was there. That one. Ace showed up at the Unplugged. Yes. So then after that Kiss convention, Peter shows up at the Kiss convention, starts igniting some old shit. Then they do Kiss Unplugged. And during the Kiss Unplugged, Ace shows up and Peter shows up and the other guys, Bruce Kulik and Eric. Uh, at that point, it was Eric Singer because Eric Carr 
the right. second drummer, the Fox guy, he ended up getting cancer and dying during the revenge uh, tour um, or in that area. But um, so then they got a new drummer, Eric Singer, and that he was just like Bruce Q, like just two dudes in the band. Like they were like studio musicians in the band, basically at that point. It they, was had just long the history. they had <laughs> was- long histories and careers, though. Yeah, yeah, they're totally respected musicians, but as far as Kiss goes, Kiss fans were just focusing on Paul and Gene. That's Kiss. Right. Uh, some guys like Bruce, some guys like Eric Singer, but uh, whatever. Um, uh, so then they do Kiss Unplug. It's like 1995, 96, and then they say, fuck it. Let's just put the fucking makeup back on and do a reunion tour of the fucking century. And that's what happened. They're like, oh shit, Kiss is getting, they're going to put the makeup back together. They're getting their original two dudes back together. 1995, 96, like the reunion tour. Shit. I think the first, uh, the first date at Detroit Tiger Stadium sold out, what, like in 10 minutes or 40 minutes yeah, or something yeah, like that? Crazy. It was something like that. Like, holy shit. They could barely play any, like, in the at the end of the non makeup era, they they couldn't play big places, and they um with the reunion, all of a sudden they're fucking playing stadiums, dog. They they blew up again. No band has ever done that. They re, the reunion with the original members. I'm, I I got third row um for three hundred and seventy five bucks. I'll never forget that. Three hundred seventy five bucks. I got third row. Um, that's not bad now. You'd have to pay like five thousand now or some shit. But um, and then the the then they did another reunion tour, another one. It was like oh so shit for the next for the next five years. Yeah, yeah, or six years. They basically rinse repeated all of the same things they did in the seventies on steroids and made all of the same mistakes. The exact same thing. The reunion, they kept the reunions going every, and then I, the second reunion, I go, oh shit, they're doing it again. And the so I went and I was like, the- se- I was like seventeenth row that time. I go, oh, I'm not gonna third, I'm not gonna get third row. Let me go seventeenth row. So now the second reunion tour, I'm like yeah. at seventeenth row. It's still good, still good. And see? they released all these toys and all these gimmicks and everything, and none of the stuff stuff crapped or or stuff you know stuff clicked it all crapped out so now they do a reunion tour they do another reunion tour and then they when they did their third reunion tour the third one that's right when i started smoking weed i I hadn't smoked weed at all and then i just started smoking weed third reunion tours coming and I go, you know what? It's at the pond, Anaheim Pond. I go, you know what? This one, I'm just going to get real high and sit way in the back. I don't need to. I already witnessed that shit for, you know, the first two reunions. So I, I sat there in the back smoking weed. And man, I'm looking at all these motherfuckers around me getting crazy for cold gin. And I'm like going, oh, my God, I'm in a fucking cult. I'm in a <laughs> fucking are. cult. I go, what? The-? So I swear to God, dude, for like a year, right from that night, for like a year, I went through this kiss purge where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in a cult. I'm trying to be a rock star and make music, trying to make the greatest music I possibly can. And then I realized, oh, my God, I'm so musically biased. How the fuck am I going to be able to make the best possible music I can if I got this cult music thing running through me? That's going to fuck my judgment up. So I, I decided... I hated Kiss. I'm like, fuck them. They brainwashed me. I spent all this fucking energy on them. And look, and and then I look back at those non-makeup years. I'm like, oh my God, 
I was rooting for those non-makeup years. Still love Lick It Up, though. But like Asylum and all that shit, uh, hot, uh, hot in the Shade. I was like trying to like it because I, 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 Kiss was like my 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 NFL team. I had to like it. So then I realized, oh my god, there's no way I'm gonna be able to write good music. You're going I'm through the exact biased. same thing. You're going, the, you're going through the exact same things I went through with Unmasked and Dynasty. It's yeah. so funny. <laughs> so then after a year, after claiming like, fuck kiss, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to that shit ever again. I'm, I'm out of that cult. I got to be as, as, from that point on, I was, com- I tried my best to be completely unbiased about music, like Soundgarden, for instance. I never liked Soundgarden because when they came out with Outshined, my stripper girlfriend, I'll never forget, we're in her apartment, and Outshined comes on on MTV, and she freaks out. She gets in front of the TV. She's on her knees in front of the TV going, oh, my God, Chris Cornell is so uh, She was in love with Chris Cornell, and it was killing me. It was like, it was like she was, like, stabbing me in the fucking heart i'm like fuck chris Cornell. so i hated Soundgarden because i was jealous i was super biased total haterade you know and and i'd be at the strip club and every now and then um a song would come up and to this day i really don't like an outshine it just it fucked with my psyche it's like watching jaws you watch jaws you hate the ocean right so i'm but when fucking Jesus Christ posed, when I heard Jesus Christ pose, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. That's a good song. But I couldn't tell anybody. I secretly like Jesus Christ most, but I, I couldn't tell anybody because I was had so much bias and so much haterade for Chris Cornell because he was so goddamn good looking, looked like a fucking com- let You've completely let music get into your psyche. Totally. Um, I I stood outside of Rockline one night and everyone was in the alley behind Rockline thinking that Chris Cornell was going to come out. And I secretly took him out the front door so he could smoke a cigarette. And we were standing on the corner of Burbank and um, um, Hollywood Way, almost, you know, they're next to Dino's Pizza. Yeah. And and he was like. And all of a sudden, these girls rode by. And I was just waiting for him to smoke the cigarette and just kind of entertaining him to get him back in the studio. And him knowing around the corner there was chaos. And he and these girls rode by singing Blondie's um, uh, big hit. Heart and of Glass? Heart of Glass. And I said, you know what, Chris? In 30 years, they're going to be singing Jesus Christ Pose. And he goes, I hope you're right, Greg. <laughs> and that's i'll tell you that's, that that kind of shit i just i've i've been so blessed with in and in, in a charmed life that i've led and the people i've got to hang out with but to hear you bring that up just you know struck a chord i am the biggest chris cornell fan these he's days. the best i fucking love that guy and and I, I can't fucking believe how brainwashed i was into uh hating him i was so jealous so well, uh, we were brainwashed for, to hating anything that didn't 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 mix with us you know it's not metal i hate black flag well black flag plays black flag paid to played in my high school at lunch how could i hate them well they sound like shit well okay but um i don't need to hate things unnecessarily let me give me a moment with them yeah yeah but i it was weed that made me realize that now i'm 20 28 years old i'm like oh my god i have a fucked up bias uh for music 
I judge music with my emotions too much. So I had to realize I had to get that out of my system. I realized that I'd be high as fuck going. I cannot be like that anymore. Otherwise my music's going to suck. So it still sucks, but you know, at least it's a, uh, um, a more open-minded now, but, um, uh, so once so kiss goes through the exact same thing they lose peter uh they lose peter and no they, they lost ace first right this time ace goes first because when right. they get they, they get back, comes back from the australian tour yeah so they're gonna lose peter and ace again they for peter and ace dude it had been 15 years they thought it was never gonna happen a reunion tour they just talked shit on each other for years paul and gene were like we don't wear makeup no more we're doing it without the makeup our music's so good now we don't need the makeup like fuck you ace and peter they always talk shit on ace is a fucking you know uh a, a drug addict drunk and peter is too those guys are hard 100 true they they talk so much shit on them and then they get them back they do the reunion and then you would think you would think that Peter and Ace would have learned, but no. it was the exact same thing. They went, they did another kiss. The reunion tour that like two or three of them were great. And then boom, their first Ace leaves, they're having problems with money. Right. And then Peter leaves. So what they do, decide to do this time is instead of getting new characters, fuck that. Yeah. They're just gonna get another guy to play that character, to play the spaceman. And so fucking and play the cat. So now right. they have Kiss, the cat, spaceman, the demon, and the dancer, right? But the cat and the spaceman are other Don't motherfuckers. Call him the dancer, call him Star Child. <laughs> he is a dancer. I love dancers. Call him Star Child. That's all he used to date is dancers. But he also so so Ace Lee's Paul Peter has no problem touring Australia or tour in usa with with um tommy he yeah. takes the money and then they go back to australia and then ace has no problem with touring with eric it's just so funny oh wait a minute so it's so about money for those two yeah extra yeah guys. yeah so i at that point after like the fourth or fifth reunion now it's like 2001 2002 2003 2004 they got fake ace and a fake peter fake no, I, I don't call him fake uh i know they're replacing them but you know what they're better well tommy they're better thayer, than those tommy other two thayer, would be right now tommy thayer plays the spaceman he plays yeah. he, he he dresses up like ace freely's character i don't like so this. so right a great guitar player and uh, you know he could write songs uh but uh i res i love black and blue when he was in black and blue i was oh, a fan yeah. of fucking black I saw, Hold on I to saw, we could i saw cold gin with Ace sitting right next to me at the um, fucking um, no uh, filthy Harry's here in North Hollywood or whatever it is. Um, so right before the COVID broke broke out, I went to the to, to the last show at the Forum. Here it is. This is something that's very cool. This is the Kobe Twenty Four All Access Pass. Oh shit! What year was that? This is right before COVID, 2019, the day before they locked everything down. Oh, shit. So me and my buddy Dean Del Rey, you know, the comedian. I know Dean. Dean. Yeah, of course you know Dean. So Dean and I went to the show, and I got hooked up by a girl that works for the president of AEG. And this is the greatest thing about living in L.A. We get to the show, Dean texts Gene's son, and uh, Gene's son replies, like, oh, well, meet us at the mixing board at the end of this song. So... 
we go over and meet Nick at the end of that song. And he gives us these passes and says, go up front. We go up front. He goes, come back right now. And all of a sudden we're in Gene's dressing room. Greatest night of my life. (laughs) Me and Dean just taking pictures of Gene, his wife. Unfortunately, Gene's wife is very upset about Kobe. It was a big Kobe thing at the end of the show. And we're all kind of bummed out, but epic, epic experience. So, I don't have anything to rag on about the current band or anything that, you know, that I get it. I get it. I'm talking just as a fan, as a fan. Absolutely. And Paul was on Dean's webcast, uh, a podcast a a few weeks before that. But I mean, Eric lives right by me. We have the same tax guy. Tommy's cool, but I get it. I get everyone's problem, but this is the kiss we get. And this is the kiss we get right now. And I'll take it. Yeah. uh, Even if they did another reunion, I don't think Peter can play anymore because he could barely play drums 20 years ago. No, he can't. And if you've seen Ace on his last few shows, those are very suspect too, especially on vocals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, there comes a time, even Paul, like Paul's got a lot of voice issues as well. I mean, there's that. There's a lot of things going on with Paul. Unfortunately, voice. I think everyone captures everyone on their first couple of shows. And, you know, Axel or Paul or anyone would say, look, our first show is we don't want it to be, you know, the, please don't judge us on those. It's hard when you, you know, you're, you're just coming back from being off the road. Yeah. The crazy thing though is, is Paul would, oh, Paul and Gene would always talk shit on Ace and Peter's uh, abilities and 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 always said that that's one of the main reasons he don't want that want Peter and Ace in the band anymore no because technically they just uh um you know Peter aren't up to it. par. Um, Peter can't do it. Peter's a jazz drummer. He can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But in those early days, Peter was going wild. He was, was all over the place. But he was also coked out of his mind and on all kinds of fucking drugs. So even in the Ace. beginning, in the beginning, Peter was all coked out. Even like like I think he was. I think he. I think he came from a. I don't know. I, I actually don't know, but I think he came from a party and, you know, era. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I don't, he talks I don't think about he, it. I don't think he discovered all that stuff. You know, yeah. And again, back to his book, he discovered all that stuff um, when he came famous. Yeah. It's, it's, hard to, it, it's hard to ha- yeah. have a band where everybody avoids it because Paul and Gene were, were pretty damn good at staying away from, uh, 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 hardcore drugs and right. i don't think gene ever did drugs but paul and gene were fucking they were soldiers businessmen they I never they went out nerd. of control they were Dude, never I out think, of control i think they were complete nerds like i would be and had no idea what was going on in that market and those other two came from the club scene yeah and and then paul going back to his ear issue i think that right. he appreciated being on stage more than anybody because when you look at paul stanley through all the ups and downs all the ups and downs he's my favorite one of the paul stanley solo albums top three all time oh, i yeah. love every song on the paul every song every song is amazing people talk shit on that album I'm like dude tonight you belong to me that Are is, you a, that is me? the best unmade chris record ever Totally, totally. I think people say, "Ah, oh, the best solo album was Ace." I'm like, "Not really." Rip it out, yeah. great song. But the rest of the album, I never go. I never listen to the rest of the album. But Paul right. Stanley, listen to every goddamn song. No, Goodbye. Okay. Are you kidding? Yeah. Goodbye. Take me away. The last song on side one. That that's yeah. one of the greatest Kiss ballads ever, right there. Take oh hell me yeah! Away? That record is Dynasty. 
I, I, it's, it's, uh, Dynasty was a, a more disco than I don't, Paul, Paul Stanley's solo album didn't have a disco feel to me at all. I don't think there was any disco parts. And Dynasty, I'd sure know something that was d- definitely disco. I was made for yeah. loving you. That was a huge hit. I was made for loving you. Gigantic, total disco. Um, it's Agreed. disco with guitar. Um, and then I think uh, maybe a little bit of even a dirty live in that do that the beginning of that that sounds kind Dude, of disco. No, that record is a. Cl- I think if you took all the shitty songs off Dynasty and put Paul Stanley's soul record on it, it's a great record. Oh yeah, I I love Paul Stanley. So I'm not when yeah. I talk about Paul Stanley, I'm not talking shit. Um, I know you're not. I I I just you know, I can't after the first two reunions i was done i'm like how many fucking reunions and now you're doing reunions with dudes that are like imposters like i'm sure i love tommy thayer in black and blue he was a bad motherfucker he's a way better guitar player than ace that's for sure but damn i would have been it would have been better if they would have just came up with another another uh character just like when vinnie vincent came in they came up with the fucking you know the onk warrior i have no problem with that at all at all but to to take advantage of the fans that aren't paying attention they know they go dude if we just dress them up like ace we dress them up like peter who the fuck's gonna know everybody knows yeah i mean look i just tried to convince a bts fan and just told you the same story that i told you in 1980 that i happened in 1980 i tried to dupe a bts fan with a kiss army thing because I wanted to prove to them how great Kiss was. So I'm still doing it in 5-1-2022. There you go. I'm still trying to pin, and I'm showing them pictures, like, this is Kiss and Chili, like, this is Kiss, you know. And they're like going, wow. So I'm still that guy (laughs) that we're talking about, that that you and me, and believe it or not, I'm still that guy trying to convince them, this stuff is valuable, this stuff is... (laughs) important <laughs> this band is a complete part of american culture <laughs> you'll never get away from it trust me yeah they did two albums with the uh, the uh uh ace and peter that aren't ace and peter they did uh two albums albums of the monster and sonic boom one came out like in 2011 i don't even know one was on universal and one was on on, on walmart the Walmart one is incredibly hard to find. And if you can find the colored vinyl, because they didn't issue a lot of them, it's super rare, super uh, super uh, valuable. I remember uh, uh, one of my friends, James, he said uh, his his wife, he goes, dude, Anna really loves Wall of Sound on uh, the Monster. It's either on Monster or Sonic Boom. <laughs> one of the, And I'm like, he goes, you got to listen to it. Anna really likes it. So I said, okay. And this is coming from Mr. Kiss here. And he had, like, I, I downloaded it on uh, iTunes and listened to it. I'm like, this sucks, man. <laughs> it's horrible. We did Monster. We did a rock line. And one of the last rock lines we did before Bob Coburn passed away was with them doing monster and the first single on that record is good i really like it um okay <laughs> but it is what it is you know you, you know you don't know how many how many records today do we go back and listen to i i'm a big fan of um you know used to carry my op- ipod around but now i just stream on on uh, amazon music yeah and amazon music i seem to find is the greatest sounding of all the streaming services 
and it's just all out there and it really opens the window to um what we we you know we're i was locked into these records forever and now i go back and listen to them and i hear them differently and you know sometimes i'll trust their algorithms and let them tell me something i may like and it's hard because we're so locked into what we used to, the soundtracks of our lives that we don't want to break out of that mold and um it's 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 hard but you know i'm 56 it's it's time to you know I'm five years older than you, and I was in a Kiss Crusade a little bit before you. And it's funny how we we still have the same, you know, um, DNA and common denominator. Yeah, man. It's like uh, um, there's only a few Kiss songs that if they pop up on uh, my shuffle, because I just always I that's a great thing you're talking about streaming. I I stream on Apple. I pay for the Apple shit. The mm -hmm. thing about uh, technology today is now you you just think of a song someone says a song old kiss song you say play strange ways by kiss boom and it's fucking on right you don't have to go through your records and do all that shit you right just, you know boom and then you just stop it if you you don't have to listen to the whole thing you just listen to a little bit of oh damn i just want to remember how it went boom nice and quick i i'm using this series shit i know this is tracking me i know uh, this is probably going to give me AIDS, but uh, God damn it. When you could just say, what's the temperature right now? The temperature is 66 degrees. Like, damn, dude, that's some Star Trek shit. So it's bringing it. It's getting people to listen to shit. They would have never listened to like to go out and pull your old records out. And where's the fucking record? You yeah, know, but yeah, you've got to capture these things. I mean, I don't know where your phone's been to give you AIDS, but um, <laughs> you definitely, you know, we definitely have to um, expand and music. <laughs> you know, there's just, you know, it, it's funny because I work in an environment. I'm head of cybersecurity for a huge company. And I'm completely removed from the music business th these days. And um, and I talk to people about music and they don't even realize how much it just, per, you know, per, it, it's so much part of their life. And um, the people that I'm most comfortable with talking to at this job and that I'm friends with is because we have the same thing in music, common, same common music. So... I'm Do you still manage? You still manage Men in Hall experiments? I still, I still work with Men in Hall. I still deal with them. They're very self-sufficient now. They've you get, got a, you get yeah. your original singer back yet? I love him. No, they've moved on Damn from. It. They moved on from her, him, but they've got a very uh, applicable replacement, and okay. she's awesome. And they're about to release some new. Oh, they got a girl singer now. Yeah, they have a new oh, girl shit. singer. Okay, I want to check it out. Send me some stuff. I want to check it out. I will. And again, I appreciate everything you've done for us, but you know, everything moves on. And, and unfortunately the, the other singer, you know, his life changed. He, he had kids and he got involved in different things and um, they want to keep growing. And that's, that's the goal. And, and maybe later, maybe they'll have a reunion in five years or something, man, but, but seize the day and nothing good came, comes easy. God, or came easy. God damn. Those are good songs, man. I love them. Now we yeah. got, we got about uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Let's run through our top 10. Now that we gave everybody the kiss uh, right. treatment, let's run through our, our top 10. You could, you could start first and I, and I might talk a little shit too. So that's okay. Okay. Go for so, it. So number one would be alive. 
That's because I got it first from the Columbia Record Club. Number two would be the debut record. Just because it sounds so good and so simple. And if you really get the good, you know, the, the, the really good recordings of the first releases, it sounds so good. Rock and Roll Over would be my third, probably, because it, it, I just love every song on the record. Uh, Love Gun would be next because it was just such a huge point in a time in my life. Um, but I don't like every song on the record. You could you can dismiss a couple of them. Um, Destroyer again, humongous time of my life. Record starts so strong. Um, but I could deal without great expectations. Um, Alive Two, big moment in my life. Going back and listening to it now, it wouldn't rank there um, because. The, the crowd noise. I'm sorry, I'm feeding back, and and the fact that you know the 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 the, the last four song the the fourth record was not live, but I like the songs most of them. On um, that, Jurassic Rocket Hall. Rocket Ride's awesome. All American Man. Rocket awesome. Ride, All American Man. Absolutely, those are those are killer songs. That Larger than life. Larger than life. Um, Alive two. I mean, Dress to Kill. I would move that record up a little bit, maybe, because I love every song on it, and it's produced very well. Love that record. Unmasked, again, I love every song. It's corny, and it's it's a tough record. <laughs> I know it's a weird period, but I love it. And then Creatures, I love that record. What number is that? Nine. Okay. And then 10th would be either Lick It Up or Ace of Solo. If we can't do solos... We could do solos. We could do solo. Okay, then Ace's solo would probably be there. Lick It Up could fall in there. Dynasty could fall in there. Elder. You like you like Ace Freely's solo album better than Paul Stanley's? No, I like Paul's better. Okay, okay. A lot of people, I mean, most people say Ace Freely had the best solo album. I never agree. He had with the that. biggest hits. He had the biggest hits, but I think Paul's solo record was actually an extension of of um, Dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Um, my top 10, I'm going to start from 10 and work my way up. Um, number 10 uh, is Revenge. And the reason the reason why I like Revenge, I love the production. The production's awesome. I love Unholy. I love Horror Chrome. Um, and I love the fact that they talk so much shit on Vinny and then they, they brought him back when they got desperate. Um, I love all that. And, and it was, it was your emotions play into that one. Totally. A hundred percent, hundred percent for sure. Okay. Um, number nine, um, creatures of the night. I mean, from right from the get go, the, the the title track just crushes. I never get tired of that. There's so many goddamn good songs on that album. Um, the, The drum production, the drum production is, like I said earlier, uh, probably the the best rock drum sound ever. Top top five, so good. They were trying to, they were going for the John uh, Bonham sign. Uh, sound. I agree. I told, dude. I'm telling you, my buddy Marco that did that record lived there in the studio. He crushed it. Um, number eight, rock and roll over. So many goddamn good songs on that one. Um, you know that was a um, a return to old kiss you know i want you just fucking crushes so right many good songs on that one 
Oh my God, that album's uh, uh, even like Hard Luck Woman. That's a great, that's a great song. Sounds like Rod Stewart. Paul Stanley apparently wrote it for Rod Stewart, but Peter Chris wanted to sing it. Peter Chris, I love his voice. That's the best thing about Peter Chris. In Garth my Brooks covered it. Yeah. Oh, he, Garth Brooks did Hard Luck Woman. Damn. Yeah, kiss my that. ass. Damn. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. The, yeah. the the cover album. I I, I built uh, a Garth Brooks studio at his house and did all of his internet hookup in his network in his house in his oh, studio. Shit. And I believe me, I fucking talked a lot about Kiss with him, and he loves Kiss. He really he's like a true fan. Like he could. He is a true fan. Oh shit! Nice, nice. Um, that's a great. That yeah, that's a no brainer. A country guy covering Hard Luck Woman. Oh, sweetest guy in the world. Yeah. I can't tell you no. Yeah, that's a crusher. Number seven, Hotter Than Hell. I know the production sounds uh, super muddy and mushy, but it's heavy as hell. And it does have a slow feel to it. But I think for me, the slow feel comes from uh, getting alive first because I got alive first. That's the live album. Basically, um, most of um, the tracks on the first album, the debut album, are on the live record. So I never got right. the first. I never got the debut. I never really got it because I'm like, most of those songs I already have on the live record. And I got so used to the live record. I I felt, you know, I married the live record. So when you go back to the originals, everything sounds slower. Everything sounds a little slower than. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm so into vinyl that I've gone back and listened to the very bell recordings of that record. Those are the real core, like original pressings of it. And I exactly, I understand what you're saying, but the more I went back to it, the more I became so appreciative. Like I felt like I was living there. Yeah. I do like the uh, studio version of hundred thousand years better than the live version. I do I agree. like the studio version. The live so record good. is not a live record. I yeah, think it was yeah. done just like Peter Frampton's and everyone else of that era. They Those were records that, you know, overdub you you sweeten yeah. up the audience i get it um, you have to understand kiss was done that more than any one of those records probably yeah yeah for sure for sure um next number six dynasty the first uh attempt at disco although uh i was made for loving you is very disco i was too old to know that they turned disco i was nine at the time eight eight or nine and uh, I love that was made for love me. I thought it was a great song. I had no it was idea. the first big hit on the radio. Yeah, it was huge. I loved it. I love Magic Touch to this day. I listen to Magic Touch sing. If you listen to Casey Kasem's top 10 and those top 10 radio shows on AM radio back in the day. Yeah. I was made for loving you was in there every day. Yeah, it's a huge. And now, you know, everyone talks shit on it. Uh, but yeah. now it's one of their classics. They talk shit on it. They even yeah. talk shit. But then they started playing it live again. Um, and uh, now they love it. But they watch they, him do it. Watch him do it on Paul uh, uh, a few days ago in Chile. And Paul sails out into the audience and they're doing that song. Tell me if that's not a hit. Yeah. In front of yeah. a soccer stadium. Uh, yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, during right before they had to drop their makeup, right, you know, when they were at the bottom. Where, during Creatures of the Night, the last makeup album, uh, they put Ace on the cover, but it was Vinnie Vincent went on the road with them. They were even though they were tanking everywhere on the road, they went to Brazil and oh they played God. at soccer stadium. There's Rock footage of Rio. that. There's footage of Rock, Kiss in Rio and that audience. It's like just to see as far as I can see. It was yeah. like a like a they, they were the only band, dude. They didn't even have an opening act, and. 
They put like a hundred thousand people in that motherfucker. It's crazy. They're sta- they're they're selling out stadiums there tonight. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's right, right before. How crazy is it? They're in Brazil playing in front of a hundred thousand people. Insanity, and they're all thinking. You know, we we're falling apart. <laughs> we what are we gonna do? <laughs> what are we gonna do? We're right. falling apart. It's crazy. How what a mind fuck they must have been going through. The same with Australia. Yeah, same thing. Same that was like it. probably yeah, exact same thing. Exact yeah. same thing. But right. um Dynasty five. had uh, Save Your Love, X-ray eyes. I love sure know something, and that was pretty disco-y. I love I think that. Sure, show. I love sure know something. Yeah, but it's super disco-y. It's like R and B almost. But I love Dynasty. I don't give a shit that it was their disco album. I love it. I even love uh, Unmasked, although I like Dynasty way better than Unmasked. I still I like what makes the world go round. I don't think they ever played that one live. I fucking love that song, man. It's so corny. <laughs> um, I love. I love Unmasked. I don't think Hard Times, Magic Touch is a great song. Dirty Living, eh. 2000 Man was great. X-Ray yeah. Eyes. Love it. I don't know, but every song on fucking Unmasked, I love. You like Torpedo Girl? I do. Come on, man. Really? Come on. <laughs> Talk to me. What makes the world go around tomorrow? Naked City. Yeah, uh, what makes the world Shandy, go around? Is that you? Did I say, did I say, I was referring to what makes the world go round earlier in regards to Unmasked, but I think I said another name. Maybe I had oh, a brain fart. Maybe. Naked City's a great song. Naked, Naked City. fucking City. I mean, I usually kind of shied away from Gene songs for a while, and these are good poppy Gene songs. She's so European. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> um, uh, what, right, oh, oh you know what song I really love? I love the bridge of Easy As It Seems. The bridge. Oh, oh yeah. Man. Oh, I love that bridge. That vo- his vocal sounds so beautiful there. Um, anyways, oh, and then and you go back to Dynasty, the fucking bridge, that vocal high vocal bridge on I Was Made for Loving You, like that's a that's yeah. probably his his a most technical singing vocal performance of all time. That it's probably bridge, hard to yeah to repeat today, dude. Oh yeah, that's like some BG shit. That's like Prince type stuff, right? Totally. There, you know? <laughs> and then number five, another one that of. Uh, uh, you know, a, an album that people hated, uh, The Elder. That's the Lord of the Rings album. I fucking love that album. The Oath is heavy as fuck. The Oath is heavy. They didn't tour at all in the United States, but they did play a show called Fridays. Once again, here is Kim! It was like Saturday Night Live. That's right. And that was right. an epic show. Fridays. They, did the, they, did they couldn't the, even yeah. tour. This was the biggest band in the world. They can't even tour, but they got, you know, they had TV connections through Bill O'Coin because he was all up in, in the uh, television ass, uh, literally. Uh, but um, uh, they couldn't play live and they dressed like, dude, they, their costumes were romantic. The elder. Yeah, it was, romantic. yeah it, was, it was short hair, it was weird. hair. Yeah. yeah. Um, but dude, Dark Lot I Love, Under the Rose, one of my, could be my favorite Kiss song of, I love Under the Rose. The solo to Under the Rose, I don't know if Ace played it or not, I'm not sure, but I went up to uh, Gene Simmons at a MMA event that he was at, it was at the LA Forum, I forget the name of the MMA event, maybe it was Bellator, 
but Gene was there and I went up to him, you know, I'm, we're all sitting VIP. I'm there with Joe Rogan. And, and uh, so, you know, we're all chilling. And I said, all I said to him, I didn't want to, I just wanted to let him know that I knew some deep, deep, deep shit. I said, did Ace play the solo to Under the Rose? And Gene, he probably don't remember, but he just said, nah, I don't think he played. He said, no. <laughs> Jesus said, no, because I love that solo because that's some backward masking shit on it. So good. That's one of my favorite solos of all time. And there's not that many notes in it. It's just so good. And the music's so good. And it's there. Man, I, I, I hope it's Ace because it sounds like Ace. If it's, it's not, not Ace, Ace. It's, it's not Ace. For sure. For sure. I don't think it is. I wonder who who did it because whoever did it, they were trying to impersonate Ace for sure. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that could look at Tommy Thayer. He does a great job. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love the Elder Man, um, right. Mr. Blackwell. Escape from the Island, like their only instrumental ever. They never did an, an instrumental. And the bass sound, the bass line to Escape from the Island, like what kind of fucking bass sound is that? It's so weird. It's like clicky, and it's so it's it's very strange that bass. Maybe Ace probably played the bass on that. Um, All right, next one. Uh, then uh, number four, dress to kill. Fucking love everything on that. Love, love her all I can. Come on and love me. Oh, come Room on. service, even getaway, oh. rock bottom. Yeah. Hey, the getaway with the false ending that they actually used on the live record for the end of Detroit Rock City. I mean, the end of Rock and Roll All Night is amazing. It, I love everything on that album. Dress to yeah. Kill is uh, just so. I, I never get sick of that album. I could listen to it right now. Two timer. Are you kidding? Oh, no, talking um, about going anal. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, number three, Paul Stanley solo album. That's that could be I'll, number one. Paul Stanley solo I'll album could the, be. I will give you that record. I love that everything, record. Everything. Tonight you belong to me. Move on. Ain't quite right. I fucking love ain't quite. Wouldn't you like to know me? Take me. It's all right. Hold me. Fucking touch me. Um. And then that is the best uh, love and chains, love and chains. And then it ends with goodbye. Goodbye is a good fucking Dude, song. That is the best kiss record never made. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's so good. It's oh. like, it's like the fucking, um, God, what is it? Um, who else did that? Well, they made, Oh my God. I can't remember. Oh, Oh, Bruce Dickinson. He made some great solo records outside of Iron Maiden. I didn't know chemical, that. Chemical, whatever it is. The greatest Iron Maiden record ever made. Huh. Yeah. I got to look into that. So we're down to two. Number two, lick it up, dog. Lick it up. Take you away the... Up. Take away, take away the title track. I don't like Lick It Up. Never liked it. I like the music video, but I don't like Lick It Up. It's too, it, the, the chorus is corny as fuck. But you go Exciter. I never get tired of Exciter, dog. That's, dude, Vinnie Vincent just fucking blossoming, uh, showing his fuck. He's at, he's at it in his prime, dog. Exciter, not for the innocent. How good is that fucking song? Young and fucking wasted. Give me more. All hell's breaking loose. They're rapping. Kiss is rapping, and it sounds great. That pre-chorus to all hell's breaking loose, the pre-chorus, that's some of the greatest Kiss music ever. And the vocal melody shit, that's all Vinnie Vincent, dog. And then Million to One, never one of the greatest ballads. Are million to One? Come on, dog. That stands the test of time forever. Million to one, and then fits like a glove. The 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 shredding at the end of the little breaks, a little guitar, and it's a shrieking. The little guitar shriek break at the end. Fuck. And then um, 
on the eighth day and uh, dance all over your face. The last two songs. Uh, I'm not like the biggest fans of those, but I could listen to those. Um, I love the production. So heavy. Vinnie Vincent just crushes that album. That That's a Vinnie Vincent album right there. He saved their asses. He saved Kiss. So that he's he's my favorite Kiss guitarist. I fucking love that guy. He saved Kiss and they came back to him after all the shit they talked. They said, help us with revenge. And he wrote two amazing songs. Heart of Chrome, that chorus. Heart of Chrome chorus. That's strong. That's some strong shit. So um, last, last album, the number one album, Gotta Be Alive. That just, a lot, that was the first album I got. That's the one I got at Jemco, had rock and roll all night. Every fucking song, both albums, two albums set, both sides, every fucking song. Dude, Got To Choose live. I fucking love Got To Choose. Every record had something. It had a fan club invite, a Kiss Army invite. It had a stinker. It had a tattoo. Every yeah. record brought you something that wanted you a to poster. Make it. They put posters poster. in virtually yeah. every record. Every record has like a poster for it. And those posters are worth a lot of fucking money. The Kiss Convention. Oh, yeah. The Kiss Mask poster now is worth 125 bucks. Yeah, I had all that shit. Just, dude, I when I, I threw everything away, all my Kiss memorabilia when I had that kiss purge, when I started smoking weed, started smoking weed. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm in a cult through all my shit away through. I had, I had everything. The dynasty poster. That was my favorite poster. The dynasty poster. Where they're poster. all in black robes. And it, Oh fuck. Dude, that's a good. I recently, I recently, I recently picked up a, a, a dynasty LP where the straight jacket is the actual white jacket behind them. They didn't black them out. Oh, Very hard shit. You got to show me that one. You got to show no, me. That one. I'm not going to show you. No, not right now. I'll show you later. But um, yeah, there's there's all kinds of kids collecting is funny. I'm I'm in a selling mode now, so um, but um, yeah, it's the greatest band on earth. <laughs> um, I mean, Chemical Wedding was the Bruce Dickinson record I was talking about. Okay, that is a great non Iron Maiden record. Chemical. But, um, did you anyway. ever? Uh, did you get into Wasp? Oh, of course. I worked at Capitol Records. Dude, I'm a I'm a wasp fanatic. Well, well, and people thought podcast. Yeah, that's another that's a total I could go forever with Oh, wasp, I, I, wasp I, was, I was was I they, landed at Capitol Records in 1983 and started doing Rockline and I started and I became the, the network technician at Capitol at the same time I ended up working there for 28 years and running all EMI's networks worldwide but um yeah, in the 80s and 90s and living in Hollywood and working there and you could get into anything you wanted and Wasp was on Capitol. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when kids dropped their makeup and and their their stage antics, there was a lot of bands that said, fuck it, let's keep the kiss shit going but we'll do exactly we motley crew and wasp motley crew and wasp wasp basically said okay you guys ain't doing that shit no more we're gonna do it now so wasp exactly. came out and um and a lot of bands did that but there was only one wasp because blackie lawless the leader of wasp he was well the then you had twisted sister and then you had the parents prmc yes. al gore's wife started that whole thing so then you had this whole anti-movement against metal yeah. and that only it, it even made it more interesting and and it was the first what we're dealing with today with social media and what you deal with and censorship, like just trying to shut us down. And it's so funny that it, it you know, it all goes back to this, this, the, the rock and roll and metal and 
But yeah. Greg, they're actually like nowadays they're pushing the shit they were trying to shut down. I know. Now, now they're pushing it. Now yeah. they they only put out. Like every like rap video is like dudes with cash. Everyone has just stacks of cash. Everyone sells out. Everyone sells out. Nobody cares about anything. TMZ is just a marketplace for just garbage of of selling you who's the latest, hottest thing. They don't really care what it is. It happens to be hip hop artists, but you know, God forbid they turn on them. Yeah, and, and you know what? Back to like, rock and roll. It's just the record companies chasing whatever they think can make the most money. And to be a quiet honest, that's why I want out of this business. Yeah, it's, it's Satanism used to be a thing that they used to target. Now, mm-hmm. like like mainstream bands are using Satan in their videos, like Machine Gun Kelly. That that one song, Alpha Omega. I am Omega. A lot I don't of satanic shit in the, in the in the video. A lot of satanic. And I know shit. nothing about it. But they wanted to lock up Judas Priest because they thought they 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 they, they partaked in some guy committing suicide. So. Yeah, yeah. Now they're letting everything go. Now they promote it. Now they want it. I they know. want. As, I, as, I don't as, want. I, I don't want to open the my my own ignorance to or uh, um, not being up to date on that's those subjects but yeah i'm sure oh yeah yeah it's it's insane now but anyways um you know we're pretty much done here uh, you want to um plug anything mendenhall experiment website new album when's the new album coming out new album should be out in the next few months um they will you know they're, they're on every platform in terms of you know when their music comes out on apple or or um you know, Amazon music or what have you, the film is still out there and still, you know, it's kind of evergreen. It'll always do good and always be a, a, a voice of mental, you know, fighting disability awareness and anti-bullying. It's called mind over matter. It's on every music platform, on every streaming platform, except for probably um, Netflix. And it, it might cost two or three bucks, but I encourage you to to watch it because if you like heavy metal music and you like a good story and you want to hear something that Eddie Bravo invest, invested himself in and that I did and um, raising dis- disability awareness, uh, check out Mind Over Matter I, and, I, and always check out KISS. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. You were awesome. I had so much fun, man. This is the first podcast. This is the first podcast I did stoned in uh, in a long time. I usually don't oh. smoke weed before podcast now. I want to get my uh uh there's so when I smoke weed before podcast, I forget the structure. You know, I have a structure. I want to have I want to cover certain things and if I get too blasted, I forget. But uh I decided since well, you know, I I've, I've I've produced over 3 uh, I've worked on and produced over 300 3000 radio shows. So, um Doing one with you was it was nice, and I knew when to bring you back around. <laughs> I hope to see you soon at Slammys for a, a UFC party or something, man. Dude, if nothing else, let's have lunch or something soon in the area. Hell yeah, hell yeah! Thank you, man. Have a good night, and uh, I'll see you soon. Love you, brother. Bye. Love you too. See ya. Bye. The Jujitsu Dojo is the ultimate training ground for life. Jiu-Jitsu will accelerate the evolution of your being, your consciousness, your soul. Through this amazing art, you will prove to yourself that you can master anything you set your mind to. Happy 
Happy birthday, Eddie Bravo. I leave for Brazil tomorrow. <laughs> Are you the Fear Factor guy? I'm uh, like six pounds over. Time to sweat it out. Just imagine someone that has no idea how different your game is. I'll tell you what this weekend was, man. It was a culmination point where all your hard work comes to like one great moment in time. You showed that you're a fucking champion. Guy who goes against convention. You created your own shit and figured interesting ways to get around problems in jujitsu. And shows you that great things are possible if you work hard, if you dedicate yourself and you use your creativity and you push through. Your own human potential just goes up. My 10th Planet Association has grown rapidly to over 70 academies worldwide, and their curriculums are all synced to 10th Planet headquarters located in downtown Los Angeles. I'm Eddie Bravo. I hope to see you on the mats.